no. Okay, now we're up. Now we're up. Now we're up. And Max? Yes. Okay, you're pretty good. You're pretty cool. good. I do get animated and talk a little louder, so. That's okay. That's to the point. Someone's You're allowed to get, get someone's got to get animated. I'm not feeling animated today, so we'll leave it to you. It is chilly. It's chilly? It's very windy outside. Oh, is it? Maybe that's why I feel so low energy. Just my strength sapped. Just look at beautiful prospects. By the winds, park. yeah. Think about all the prospects. Ooh, there are I was eating prospects. a tuna melt on a bench just now, and it was actually a beautiful moment. What kind of cheese? You know, I think it was American, which I, in my own tuna milk creations, have come to prefer because it melts better. Yeah, American does melt well. But you know you're one of the guys who then ruined the bodega grill for everyone after? You oh. know when you get a grilled cheese and you're like, why the hell does this taste like fish? Right, you're I know. You're now the guy who's the reason it tastes like fish. That'll become Damn. my new project, just ruining <laughs> various subs. Going around to bodega grills and ordering tuna melts <laughs> just serially. <laughs> That sounds like a good idea. I, I, I like the actually this tuna melt wasn't that expert really. Yeah, I like I to use bread and butter pickles, which I think are hated, but I dig them. What type and of pickles did they have? In none. There? No pickles. Maybe some in the tuna salad itself. Oh, okay. That's bad. But yeah. I want like a heavy hit of pickle. Yeah, you gotta have that. Because it needs to offset some of the fishiness. Absolutely. Especially in bodega tuna. I don't know what the hell that shit is. I don't know where it's... Yeah, I get, like, the nice shit. Where do you go to get uh, it? Uh, just the local West Side Macket. Oh. You know, I just get oil-packed. Pa- oil Tonino. You gotta st- Tonino's too nice for a, a work-a-day melt. Which one? Need, but they uh, have Tonino in cans, which is less expensive. I get that sometimes. Yeah, can Tonino. Genoa. Okay. Yeah, That's yeah. where Columbus was from. So you make it yourself, and you take the can of them and ask them to put it on? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Bring your own tuna to the deli. I come equipped with my own pack of tuna. No, this is just when I do it, my own nightly ritual of making a tuna melt, which was today. Um, I can't believe that's still going on. I think my mercury levels are reaching near lethal. Because points. that started maybe, I don't know, almost like last summer, earlier than last summer. And I was like, oh, this will just be a phase. And It's not just a phase. It seems like a year later. The nightly melt continues. It makes your blood pressure really high, right? Or well, something. that's... <laughs> <laughs> I find myriad ways to uh, raise my blood pressure. And <laughs> you know, it's probably one of the better ways of doing it, actually. Healthier ways. Because you know, at least you have protein. Yeah, that's true. It's not like a cigarette. Or my new European nicotine pouch. Oh, yeah. I picked these up at the airport in Vienna. I didn't even know Europeans did chewing tobacco. Well, now it's... The, I thought they would have snus, which is a, you know, emblem of our favorite place in the world, Norway, I think. But um, Wait, is it? It's snus is a oh, Scandinavian product. Oh. Which apparently doesn't cause mouth cancer. Mm. But then I found all the studies that suggest that are funded by Swedish Match Snus Corporation. Oh. So I don't know what that means. But now when you order, when I tried to get snus at the t- tobacco places abroad, they just had the synthetic shit. Hmm. And there was actually a news program in Vienna on the dangers of th- this stuff. <laughs> because there's no news. I don't know what's going on. What do you mean a news program? <laughs> well, Were you like you know, watching Vienna, TV in a deli in Vienna? I saw it on TV in a tiny bar that I sought refuge in. But <laughs> What were you seeking refuge from? Um, we went to a 
museum on the history of medical problems and there you can see like <laughs> deformed anuses from 1743 and jars of formaldehyde or whatever and like damn wait it, that's awesome i'm gonna go there like vaginas yeah. covered in warts oh. testicles sagging with growth was it only in genitalia or what did they have that's all ones? i that's the see. only part <laughs> I mean, I was getting a little right panicky there. at the other sections because yeah. I didn't see the afflictions that could get me. Yeah. <laughs> but it was also kind of cold. It's The museum is called like the Wedding Cake. It's like a big round building. Right. It's like a medical school, I think. There would seem to be actual doctors <laughs> walking about. But it's also outside. Were they showing the program about snus in like the in-house bar? <laughs> and there, it was Essentially, it was like down the street. But there's also, I think, a problem in Vienna because all they do is just hang out in these cafes for hours. And they have, like, myriad newspapers on, like, little sticks that you can read. But I wonder, it's, like, not that big a place, not that, you know, lively a city. I'm like, what the fuck are you reading about? What are you reading about in Vienna as you sip your espresso for six hours? The Trump indictment. They're just reading our news. That's That's probably true. It looked like local news, though. Like, this is some intense minutiae. It sounds awesome. Like, what's going on? Sounds Canal's Guardian to, ca- to me. I went to the cafe where um, Thomas Bernhardt hung out. Nice. He, but he just apparently just spent all his time ranting about the cafe. So maybe that's just like what you do. Like the service? Everything. Everyone in the cafe, the service, which is notoriously bad, is like they're proud of it. Right. It's like smug waiters that take six hours. Although I didn't really encounter <laughs> that. But I mean, I did some writing in the Bernhardian cafe. And, you know, I don't... You always, I went abroad hoping that I would feel the, right. the Viennese flavor. I saw in an interview with you, Max, that you were in Moscow. Yeah. And right. that being among the you know ruins, post-Soviet ruins helped you Wait, you did research for this? Understand. I feel so betrayed. I did. You asked me to come prepared, and I came prepared. I'm only <laughs> well, yeah, but I didn't think you I'm would t- actually listen to That's me. That's a good question. Uh, yeah. and it, well, I was thinking about myself having gone to... Vienna to feel some kind of Freudian or Bernhardian vibe and hoping that it would affect my own writing or just my own mind and really just feeling like I failed at that somehow. But that's because Europe is like um, living in its own ruins and we haven't romanticized the ruins. Yeah. Whereas Russia is very ruined, but Sorokin or like post-Soviet stuff is all about romanticizing the ruins. Right. So I was living in an Airbnb that I long-term rented and I never checked it before I rented it, which was stupid because I rented it for two months. And you was, didn't even look at the rating? No, I did. It had a good what rating. What was the rating? Like 4.8 maybe? 4.8? If it's not a 4.9, I think you go to... Maybe. Is Airbnb? <laughs> it was bad. Well, it, w- it was okay. The apartment itself was pretty nice, but it was in a shit building. Just an awful building. There was like this... I think it was a Hrushovka. So it was um, the concrete tenements built by Hrushov. And um, who's that? The Khrushchev. Khrushchev, we say. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. We're we're. No, I, I sound uh, like the asshole. We're yokels around here. No, it's like the person who's who goes that? goes to the bakery and is like, "May I have a croissant?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I actually studied Russian, and I just never heard him called that. Yeah, yeah. What I heard was "karasho," like good, that's, you know. And I was true. like, so wait, "They're good his, apartments." What's his real name or Khrushchev. oh oh you were just pronouncing it yeah because yeah, we just say Khrushchev. i don't know sometimes the pronunciations get really fucked up how did our romanization get so off they do that a lot though yeah. like um borscht has no t in russian just Damn. borscht i don't know why. i would say that's actually on par with like wade giles and uh romanization of chinese which is quite quite something yeah yeah well, it's weird if you think about how we name other countries from right. what they're actually named. Yeah, that's actually a, a little pet fascination. Like endonym versus exonym. Mm-hmm. 
like if you look at like the Basque language, like they're obviously it's a completely somewhat alien language, but their names are just entirely different. Yeah, they, yeah, they have none of the same names for their own places. Well, the Russian stuff is just hard because the whole pronunciation is determined by stress, like where you put the stress on the word. Mm, so you intonatia. Exactly. Yeah. So if you spell it, you can't actually know. In English, you can't know what it is. And in fact, that's one of the worst parts about learning Russian is if you spell it in Russian, you can't know how it's going to sound unless you pre-know the stress. And the stress is not marked. Yeah. So it's annoying. Hard to... That's like linguistics nerd stuff, but I mean... It's no, just, same in Chinese. Mm. You can't know just by... You just have to know. And in Arabic, I guess there are no vowels written, which is insane. Yeah, I remember learning like Hebrew was, I guess it's different, but yeah, in Hebrew school, they're like teach it to you with all the vowels. And then like when you're in sixth grade, they're like, by the way, nobody uses these. Yeah. Like in Israel. I took Arabic. They just know. I took Arabic for a month and then the guy, the guy made us do a dikte, which um, is insane. If you've taken Arabic for a month and you like know 10 words and he's like, watch the news and write what they say. It's Hell like, yeah. <laughs> I can't fucking do this at all. <laughs> and I was like, Tarek, this took me like three or four hours. Like it was really hard. And Tarek goes, Max, I think if you are not taking my, if you are not studying for four or five hours a night, you will fail. And I was like, <laughs> okay, well, I'm that's awesome. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> I dropped it. He was very, very, but it wasn't true, obviously, because no one was being held to that standard. He was just trying to scare me off. What do you worked. think he had something against you? No, it's like a whole. It's a teaching tactic that I think is stupid. Where it's like, like um, nagging. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> Where it's like if you try to make something seem super hard, right. so people work hard, and then you're actually going to be nice in the end. Oh, uh, okay. But it's like, I just want it's someone like training to t- with weights. Yeah, this is how I'm trying to that. learn how to teach. <laughs> I fail. <laughs> this is a bad way to do it, I think. Because well, it just seems insurmountable. Yeah, I could, but if I just try to be ins- a little more insurmountable, you know, I might actually become a competent teacher. But anyway. You think you're too surmountable right now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> excessively surmountable that's one way of putting it when i taught russian i like to just be very straightforward like here's what we have to learn here but i do think that sometimes people take advantage of that because the good students it works better with i think the medium or bad students it works worse with because they just go this guy's a pushover right yeah yeah oh so for sure maybe Tarek. maybe, maybe Tarek was on this maybe right Tarek bell hussein i think he still works at columbia shout maybe out to Tarek. come on the pod come on the pod <laughs> yeah, we haven't we've never had a um in an arabist on the show mm-hmm. there was also there's a famous pre- professor at columbia who would like do <laughs> george something i forget his last name um but he's a pretty famous guy and he would do these lectures where he'd just deliver these crazy one-off sort of asides so we'd be like and in that perspective one can understand why everyone is so attracted to the fourth caliphate with isis and everyone would be like <laughs> like a 300 person lecture and then he'd be like moving on to the 8th century <laughs> just smuggling that in there yeah he's yeah. really he's actually infamous for doing stuff like that there are a lot of like fox news articles like george i think saliba is his name but i forget um george saliba says this about israel and palestine it'll be like just a one-off where he really likes getting the getting the zingers in there like all these it's it was like a required class for global course so all all these football players or whatever would be like what (laughs) (laughs) giant lecture room with a broken heater so every day he'd like go up to the heater and be like is that hell in there (laughs) hell do you hear me hell hello that is honestly how i feel about my heater in this apartment it just it's possessed like high key possessed just something's trying to break out of there it's a new york city problem in general with the heaters i don't know why they're so intense in new york 
It's not like a thing anywhere else that much. Is it? Yeah. You gotta like open the windows just to ventilate it. Yeah. <laughs> cool down in the middle of winter. When Vladimir and I were staying at an Airbnb in San Francisco on our tour, they had these bizarre heaters. And it was really cold in San Francisco, even though it was September. They were like, um, I'm pointing at something now, but it's like shoulder heights, vents. They were pretty narrow, built into the walls. Mm. And they smelled like paraffin, just reeked oh, of paraffin. So you turn them on. And the square meter around them would be a literal sauna, and the whole apartment would smell like a paraffin lamp. So that's awesome. Is that's pretty bad, I think. But what about your Airbnb in Moscow? Oh yeah, oh, let's yeah, go yeah. back to that. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was just that it was I was worried about the pipes, and I didn't realize you. Were, I knew you weren't supposed to drink like water from the tap cold, but I didn't realize there was also a problem with heavy metals in the pipes. So I was drinking tea and coffee for like a month plus. Uh, until I've realized, but it's probably fine. Um, no, it was just like there was a. Cr- it was crazy. It was concrete. It was um, really seemed like an underpass, kind of in like mm. a European city. Just very scary looking. Then you get in the apartments, and they're actually reasonably nice. But the park entry was like splintery, so you'd walk around the apartment and get splinters. Mm. Uh, and then there were like this. Um, the neighborhood drunk who would beg at the monastery next door would get into the vestibule and sleep so the elevator would be broken and you'd have to slep, step over the holy fool. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And, yeah, I mean, it was fine. It wasn't, like, horrible, but it was definitely... You could hear the neighbors fighting. Like, uh, it was right in the center, though, and it was in a nice neighborhood. It was just one of the rare apartment buildings in there that hasn't been renovated. Um, and I, you know... It was pretty much okay, but it was important to see that and smell that because the very specific sort of flavor, I think, as compared to American apartments that are shitty, mm-hmm. uh, they're a lot different because you have to keep in mind all the apartments until whatever, 1991, were built by the government. Right. So it's like pretty different sort of decay. And like the, oh yeah, the landings would be covered over in cigarette butts. So, like, when you had to take the stairs, it'd be like every landing was just covered in cigarette butts, weird graffiti everywhere. And this was actually pretty normal. Because, like, I remember I said something about it to my friend who'd been there. I was like, yeah, it's kind of a shitty building. He was like, well, look at you, Mr. Blue Blood. And I was like, mm-hmm. is it okay? <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Where does your boy live, the Sorokin? He lives in Berlin now. But he, oh. he I mean, his house still exists in Russia. Really? He lives in the uh, suburbs in Vnukova, near the airport. Not, it's like the airport's called Vnukova, but it's not like an airport. <laughs> He's doing the Nabokov thing of going to Berlin. Oh, yeah. I started reading The Gift when I was abroad. It's not which, that good. Yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of not, not, a, not a banger. Is that from his Berlin era? It's, it doesn't translate. I actually did think it was weirdly clumsy. There are passages that I found oddly clumsy, and I was like, am I really reading a book? It wasn't as... Yeah, I don't know, mellifluous and elegant and whatever else. Uh, I mean, it's because, like, in Russian, he's doing something pretty ornate and interesting that just doesn't translate at all. And then the translation is uh, stilted. And then the content is sort of like, if you're not super schooled in Russian literature, it's like, why does this guy hate Chernyshevsky so much? And what is this very much... What it is is a parody of Chernyshevsky's What is to be Done in the mm-hmm. style of Gogol. Which mm. is like insider baseball to the max. Well, they had this big conversation too, where he shits on a lot of other Russian writers, two of whom I actually like. That you mentioned in my in the interview I read in research. Uh, <laughs> he was really rubbing this in uh, my face uh, that he did more research than I did. Agonkarov. 
you know open oh yeah Goncharov yeah Goncharov that's what I mean you can't know that like you can't know that it wouldn't be Goncharov or like right, you don't, don't say Nabokov you say Nabokov yeah you can't know that unless you know Russian it's super weird but yeah Goncharov yeah I came prepared to mispronounce no, my, no, my Russians <laughs> but um yeah he shits on him I think he shits on another dude I like uh, you know Sergei Aksakov you know him no he has a book called the, like a boyhood a boy's memories or some shit but mm. Maybe these Russian writers really love looking back on their beautiful boyhoods. <laughs> Nabo- no, I'm serious. Nabokov, it becomes insufferable to me. It's just the reveries. Well, didn't he have like a really nice little aristocratic yeah, he boyhood? Lost it and he's yeah. in exile and he yeah. hates Freud, but he's really Freudian. He was a, it was a fancy boy. Yeah. He probably yeah. got bon- he was stuffed with bonbons and always it's warming himself around a samovar. Book is like, and he remembered little yeah. Tanya sucking on a lollipop yeah. as the balloon man came by. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, he had a great fucking boy and he lost it. That sucks. Yeah. I mean, the, can't the, relate. Can't the book of his taste is bad. Like, well, it's just like wildly inconsistent. Yeah. His taste in in other literature, I mean, you're yeah. saying? Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. infamous for this. He hates Dostoevsky. Yeah. Oh, Thomas nice. Mann. Yeah. He hated. He, he didn't like Faulkner. Pretty much anyone good, he hates. <laughs> did he like anyone? Did he like anyone? Yeah. Good? He, he, Were there any good writers he liked? Um, he liked Kafka. Tolstoy. Yeah. No, yeah. of course, of course. Like, like his, the his lectures are full of praise, but yes. that's a pretty rarefied <laughs> crew. It's like Ulysses Proust, yeah. um, Petersburg by Andrei Bieli. Um, what are his five? Then I think. Metamorphosis? Doesn't no. he have Jane Austen somewhere? I don't This might be a different be. collection. Yeah, I forget. But, anyways, he, he loves Proust, he loves Ulysses. And that's all he loves. That's all he loves. Do, so, this novel, do you think there's. There's any way that could be translate like for that anyone could translate it in a way that would make it good in translation? The gift? Yeah. Um, is it trans It's just insider baseball y. Certain things don't translate well because people right. it's just gonna be like people won't find it significant. So would the average Russian reading it in Russian find it to be No, but the average Russian who'd gone to college the average college educated Russian who'd studied some literature would get all the jokes. Okay. So it's like yeah, this uh, does sound like kind of un- insufferable. This it's annoying. Like. <laughs> I mean, it's basically like just a bunch of like a lot of writers from whatever just like chatting about other writers yeah, and yes, really parodying other. There's also like poetry that's meant yes, to be the character's yes. poetry, but there's like long you know swaths of his poetry that you read that it's unclear. I don't know if it's meant to be good or not. I mean, it's like it's his. It's about his literary gift, essentially. Yeah, and, the and that's the there. most insufferable part about it. Is that it's called the gift. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Can you imagine? All right. <laughs> I mean, it's basically a book up just saying, "Look how fucking talented I yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. Look at my beautiful boyhood." And I like Nabokov a lot, but this book just like brandishes it. Damn. Full fucking on. It's also just like he had two stages of writing, and in Russian, he actually writes in a much more ornate way because he's better at Russian. Mm-hmm. Like. Actually, Nabokov is sort of a funny example of people hold him up to say that people can write in their non-native languages, which of course they can, but you lose a certain kind of um, precision, mm-hmm. I think, no matter what. And Nabokov is a good example of that because no one could mistake him for a native speaker of English in his You writing. don't think so? No. I think he just sounds like a very, very well-spoken non-native speaker. It's not a bad thing. It's still super cool and super good prose, but I think you read it and it's still, especially in the dialogue, it's quite odd it sounds he it sounds like um like people used to say this continental like yeah, just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah it's like well, a, just this yeah. very 
cosmopolitan form of English. That's to not his credit, great. his narrators is often a layered or mass thing going on where they ha- they may have a European yes. mysterious background. Right, yeah, like in Pale Fire, it's narrated by this guy who's... Poor or oddly ornate English. Yeah, um, but can you imagine him trying to write like a dialogue between two people n- yeah. in, in like like a plain spoken English. Even I found some of his dialogue in the, even in the gift. I mean, I guess there you're meant to understand sort of like yeah. literary fantasy land. Even that sort of unconvincing though. I'm pretty accepting of seemingly unconvincing dialogue. And his older stuff, he's much better with tone and his later stuff, he just creates in a book of his genre, which is sort of like the Murakami thing where you create your own little right, world right, with highly right. specific motifs you just repeat. Ooh, what are, what are Nabokov's motifs? Uh, chess, like pasta. Wife murder. Wife murder. <laughs> The best one is probably Ada, which is out. Oh, I think it's so good because it's a novel about incest between twins. Right. Oh, nice. Which yeah. why that's so good is because Nabokov loves himself so much that the only right. okay. convincing right, right. emotion he could portray is uh, fucking a twin. Well, that's why that Lolita <laughs> is about you know pedophilia and because he's so arrested in his childhood. That's like the only. Place oh, he interesting. I've never heard that interpretation. That's my interpretation of it. So it's his, his love for his own childhood and the uh, only chi- okay. the I inner like that. child Nabokov. That I'll buy it. That's again, it's a function of his own kind of narcissism. Almost. Yeah. Um, People were worried, like educated wor- Russians before Nabokov's personal papers came tonight, light were worried that there would be pedophilia stuff in them. I've heard conversations yeah. where they were like, thank goodness there was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a really good way to make Russians mad. Um, How do if, they feel about Nabokov? Like, what's his presence? Love, really? love, adulation. Interesting. There's my, I, at Vladimir's house, there was like a... A fan. We had there was a This is Vladimir with, Sorokin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not Vladi. Not the. Not Vladimir N. <laughs> no, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah. Um, in Berlin, and I was sort of saying, yeah, in Russian to be in English to be honest, Nabokov sounds uh, like a non-native speaker. They got so mad. Like, <laughs> this composer guy stood up and was pacing around the table, like, rub, rubbing the bridge of his nose. <laughs> I was like, look, it's like. It's Stilton cheese. You know, you wouldn't expect it to be good because it's mold, but it actually is really good. That's sort right. of like Nabokov. He writes very strangely, but it works. But for most people, that wouldn't work. Right. And in fact, you see a lot of writers who try to make that transition, and they just lose their ability to write fully. Did he, like, was he, did he have, a, I know he had a hand in the own, in his translations of his, like, Russians works, Russian works into English, but yes. what about the, the opposite? He translated Lolita into Russian, and it's right. not as good, actually. Because it's such an American book. I mean, also, you just like the thing about writing as compared to translating is with writing, you have this total freedom. So if something's not working, you just go, oh, fuck mm. it, like throw it out. But at translating, you have to go, I have to make this work. And sometimes it just, you know, you have a, a sort of scale of how well it'll work. Um, and certainly, I think um, the translations are good of all the books into English. The gift is the one that works the least well. Vladimir Sarokin, for the record, he likes Invitation to Beheading a lot. Mm. He likes Ada. And he likes not all of Lolita, but he likes the final confronta- confrontation with Quilty, which is... That's um, my least favorite part of the book. Really interesting. Me. It's a highly specific um, yeah. taste. I like Glory a lot. I've read that one. That's a translated yeah, yeah, yeah. one. That's a good one. That's sort of more, um, I don't want to say plainer, but it has it's, a kind it's of early. Like directness to it that's intriguing. Mm. I loved Laughter in the Dark. That's a good one, too. I thought it was fucking spectacular. That's a really good one. I've yeah. heard that one. Oh my god, you would love it, Drew. The main character in it is like totally your type. It's really good. She reminds me a lot of someone who's been on this mm. uh, podcast. I'll approach it. The, we- yeah. the weirdest part is that's got a Latin title in Russian. Camera what? Obscura. But oh, they weird. just took it out. 
Which Laughter in the Dark is kind of an odd title. No, it's so good it's because a good title. because the, the further you go into it, it takes on new meaning, that's true. and then finally you get to what it ultimately. That's interesting that that wasn't the original title. Yeah, he chose to change it though. He does that yeah. actually with some regularity. I can't really remember the other examples that well, but um, that's the big one. Also, something really weird about Laughter in the Dark to me was it takes it takes place in Berlin in maybe like 1933, <laughs> and it's just about like bourgeois people yeah. like fucking in Berlin and like getting cucked and yeah, stuff. Like getting no cucked. mention of anything that's <laughs> yeah, happening well, in the background. Yeah. Like Nothing like just political. Bitches. Yeah. It was actually a funny moment in the gift, one of the only good moments where he just bitches, like it's a rant against the Germans, and he's like, their trains creaked, the food was bad. <laughs> and then he like f- seizes upon one dude that he thinks is a German and just like writes a rails against him, and then he realizes he's a Russian. <laughs> and he's like, suddenly it inverted, and he was filled with joy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Nabokov is great, though. I mean, the, the thing is about Russian literature is it doesn't merit its reputation so much after the um soviet union begins like there's just not that much good russian literature from 1920 to 2020 well there's like i took i took a my first ever college course was on soviet literature Oof. and i don't it was kind of oh who taught it todd armstrong oh i love that guy he's great yeah but um it was like you know soviet realism and like kind of just propagandistic and dry and like Pages and pages about like factories and shit. There's a cottage industry of uh, academics trying to pretend it's good literature nice. just for their paychecks. Where it's like, yeah, yeah, you just a- have to. This is modernism. This yeah. is modernism, right. and you're like, it's written in a little bit of a clipped style, which I guess is interesting, but it's just like a very typical plot about a factory. Uh, yeah, reaching its production. There's quotas. this uh, broad Anna Akhmatova who always gets trotted out. Is she Soviet or is she? Earlier? Yeah, she's a poet. So but she, she uh, just I think because she's a woman, she always gets trotted out. I always no, I mean, hear about her. She's a great poet. Um, yeah. She's a dissident, I think, is more the reason. Uh, so, like, there's actually checks in the, all the boxes. Yeah, in the Sorokin book that's coming out in January, uh, one of the three next year, his best one, Blue Lard, there's a very hilarious um, part that takes place in Moscow in the 40s, I think. That's, <laughs> I think 40s. Um, where uh, Anna Akhmatova's renamed AAA and instead of being the very proper dissident woman who mm-hmm. is uh, persecuted, she becomes like this um, sort of like, uh, I can't even describe, uh, sort of like excreting, filthy, oh, morbidly nice. obese hag wandering Hell around yeah. Moscow, like writing Latin with her shit on walls, like okay. um, giving birth to black eggs that um, no one can eat, and whoever's going to eat it is going to become her poetic heir. And then... Um, Mandelstam, who of course is also the really respected dissident poet, is like this horribly violent, sort of like rakish character. So he's like Blue Lard, that whole part of it is he's inverting um, all of the hierarchy. He's sort of just like throwing the 20th century into a blender. So that's why Khrushchev and Stalin are lovers in that. And uh, oh, nice. Hitler has really long hair. <laughs> and it's yeah. America who does the Holocaust. And America nukes. <laughs> uh, no, sorry. Um, Nazi Germany nukes. London. Okay, this is getting this into like, like Martin Amos territory. Shit. Yeah, yeah. No, Blue Lard's <laughs> really getting, good. This is getting into Time Zero territory. <sighs> what if America did the Holocaust? <laughs> we love that. You need to make we a love cottage that. industry of like, yeah. books that like, reverse <laughs> the various iterations of the yeah. Holocaust. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, but the Anna Kvantova, oh, the funniest thing is there's a poem called um, 
cunt, which I had to translate as pussy for the meter by um, Pasternak. <laughs> pussy it for happens. the meter. Which is pussy written by... That may be the episode title. Cunt is like a very metrically dead word. <laughs> cunt. It's like it stops the line. That's why cunt is beautiful. That's very it's, true. It's beautiful yeah. for that reason, though, in a weird way. But, well, it's a yeah. good interjection. That's why British people say it so much. It's like their yeah. period. <laughs> but of. you had to make it pussy. I had to make it pussy to make it in iambic tetra- tetrameter that sounded Damn. good. I'm always I'm always saying this. But Vladimir yeah. texted me when he was reading. He's like, "Why is it pussy and not cunt?" <laughs> and I was like, "Vladimir, uh, I'm sorry." Can they ask? <laughs> <laughs> because in Russian, um, actually, the word for cunt is a lot like the word for pussy. It's pizda. Oh, okay. Very metrically nice. Yeah. You have to almost like in, I saw you like in my research. <laughs> um, I saw that Drew's you you actually kind of have to invent your own idiom, right? That's like built from almost like yeah his own wordplay that's like sonic yeah i mean vladimir does something funny where um he will be like not know what he has written yeah i love that i was that was cool he says so i'll ask him a question sometimes and he says max i don't know that's the character's personal pun yeah yeah exactly and then i'm like learn that from (laughs) cheborashka and um basically yeah it just forces me to think of something that has similar valences but without having any meaning some books are better than others for that um some books are harder than others and uh, some of them like the books that are more specifically anchored in historical territory are much harder to translate Mm. it's like he has the book about eating shit the norm Mm. which is actually eight parts of that book which are all deconstructions of one aspect of soviet life so the best part of it is actually letters written from this guy who's the caretaker and also distant relative of this intelligentsia family in moscow and he takes care of their dacha and the dacha is falling apart and he's writing the letters and he's like oh i'm replacing the timber on the roof i'm doing this i'm doing that and gradually the letters start just becoming pure um obscenity and rage and gibberish over the course of like 150 pages that's the really famous part of um the norm and it's maybe the best part but so the norm is super cool but it's harder to translate because I wasn't around during the Soviet Union, and Russians actually changed way more since 1990 than English. Um, and what, why Oh, is interesting. That? Yeah, say more about that. Because um, the Soviet Union was just such a closed mm. system. Uh, in, in fact, it's also true, you know how there's that sort of crackerjacky American idiom that appears in war movies or something? Yeah, sure. sure. That sort of was universalized as the official idiom of Sovietude, almost, in a weird way. Not English, obviously. Yeah. But of the equivalent idiom of Russian. And then there's also the secret slang and mat swear words, which was officially not known to be spoken. So you couldn't know swearing in movies. So you've got official Russian. Then you've got the sort of crackerjacky slangy thing, which is the official slang. Then you've got real slang, which is like, fuck, 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 fuck. But, you know, in Russian. <laughs> and, um, and then in 1990, there was a real... It just really shifted, and you had youth culture, which was allowed to become official and become documented, and it started to change very quickly. So, like, 90s youth slang is very different. I mean, it's different in America, too, but I think it's more different probably in Russia. And I think they sort of had a a quicker process of evolution of their language in the wake of that uh, transition, it seems to me. Do you talk to people of, like, different generations who have access to different idioms or yes yeah yeah oh that's really important for people who are around during the soviet union because right. i don't know some of the idioms or some of the ways that the people would say things also the interesting thing is soviet the dialogue in soviet art tends to be much more uh less overt 
more is left unspoken. Mm-hmm. It's like every statement is a little bit more cryptic, which makes sense because speech was so um, dangerous, I guess. So even that infiltrates basic things like right. um, talking about food or talking about whatever. It's like implicit. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So that's, that's some of the tricky stuff that I guess is like um, the actual hard parts. Most of translation is not that hard, but the hard thing is when the language really changes changes a lot, or you have to render something highly specific. Then I'm just. Do you have any examples of like Soviet language that was hard to translate? Like specific examples? Oh, I mean, it's just like for in Vladimir's stories, a lot of them take place in factories where they'll be talking in highly idiomatic Russian about the factory work and mm. like the quarterly plans and like using term. You know, <laughs> just imagine yeah. the most specific factory conversation from 1960s america mm-hmm. like a dodge chevrolet factory sure, yeah and then imagine a russian <laughs> i'm always imagining that cracker jack imagine a russian guy trying to translate that i'd be like what do i do with this <laughs> these americans what the fuck are they saying <laughs> they really like factories over there huh well they were obsessed with them for a long time Fam- yeah. famously so yeah they were obsessed <laughs> Really productive. Yeah, I think I read in that college course my one, well, not my one entry into Russian lit, but at least Soviet lit. It was like one book was about a sausage factory. The seeing other was about seeing how the sausage is made. That's yeah. not a bad one. No, actually. that's a good one. That's, that's a good like, one. That's not really even Soviet literature. Yeah, I know. Exactly. I, I knew it as soon as I came. And, out, and the book of likes that one. Yeah, I think. Envy was actually cool. I mean, that's that a good one. Stranger. Shout out NYR- NYRB. <laughs> oh yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, you're basically sponsored by them. Yeah, them and Dalky Archive. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I guess I'm not really branching out yet. Not officially branching out. But um, right now, I'm pretty much sponsored by NYRB Classics and Dalky That's Archive. very classy to be sponsored. Like, they're probably one of the classiest outfits around. Edwin, Edwin Frank is the best. He's the coolest guy ever. The editor there. Like, if NYRB made, like, a like a line of towels, I would buy it. Because it would just be so, it would seem so classy. Yeah. Like, whenever I see that cover, I'm like, all right. The, I'll probably like this. They are really, really yeah. well designed. Yeah. yeah. But it's sort of like their own little brand now. It's oh, like, there are. Yeah, they're, but they're this amazingly um, classy brand. Yeah. Can't think of anything classier, honestly. Yeah, I think. Well, I, sh- I, I, sh- I sh- there's to be watch what I say. Um, I think NYRB has really stepped up and started to publish more stuff that other publishers used to publish. Oh. You know, that picked up the slack from other publishers. Oh, because other were, publishers are so trash now. They're yeah, just I just, like, yeah. I think there's less of, like, Edwin really is anxious to publish um, stuff from, that's been, that slipped through the cracks. Um, nice. And that is difficult. I yeah. think a lot of publishers are more like trying to publish something that's vaguely interesting. Mm-hmm. It feels a little bit avant-garde at the edges, maybe. But that's nice. it. Whereas, like Edwin, right now I'm trying to convince him to put out Wyndham Lewis's three oh, volumes. Have you read The Human Age? I've not. I've been oh, trying to get my hands on it. It's crazy. Well, I love see, tar. Hey, that's, that's a good plug for Edwin. Yeah. Um, but basically, The Human Age is this insane three volume sci fi epic where there are like vast sections that are parodies of Gertrude Stein and then vast sections that are parodies of Finnegan's Wake. Not to mention, it's a sci fi epic that's um, like structured after Dante. Um, but you can't get your hands on it at all. It can't, yeah. There's been like one or two printings of it in all of history. I've at like, I don't know. I've like you know scoured like A books and other things it's like expensive. that. Expensive for like Wyndham Lewis editions, but it's been tough. Have you read The Apes of God? No, I haven't read that either. T.S. Eliot loves that book. Yeah, I, I became a fan of this critic called Martin Seymour Smith. He was sort of a British eccentric who made these huge books of like every writer who's ever existed and rated them on like four different levels, including. Mm 
plot, readability, characterization, oh, yeah. and literary value. <laughs> but nice. it's funny because you like Moby Dick has one star for readability and four, which is the highest <laughs> for everything else. And you know what? I think that's how books should be rated. It's yeah. actually it, he even says like it's all yeah. kind of quirky and inconsistent, yeah. and it's his own whims. But he loves Wyndham Lewis and says like he's the great unread writer of our age, and like one day he'll be discovered. And so through that, I read Tar, which is a strange, disturbing, cool book. Is but, sh- the other ones are better. Even. Yeah, that's like his portrait of the artist. You know, that's right. his, that's the one where you go, oh, okay, this guy needs to get over himself a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> the long dialogue sections where it's like him and his lover, like, you need to love me, but I love art. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just found that relatable. Oh. Yeah, you know, Drew has that combo all the time with his uh, his lover. That's good. <laughs> The funniest thing, when I was actually recently looking at Wyndham Lewis editions, um, well, I was trying to look for one book to buy, not that I was just perusing them, but um, he has this book called Self-Condemned, which is Yeah, I started reading that. It's not a good one, really. Yeah. It's his account of his collaboration, basically. So he flee. Well, it's complicated, because you know he has two books about Hitler? It's not really funny, (laughs) but it's kind of funny. Which is like, in 1930, he has a book, like it's like Hitler. A great man and then like 1942 <laughs> he has a book that's like hitler a problem <laughs> yeah, he's a great essay about this where he responds to accusations of anti-semitism he says well you know the reason i can't be anti-semitic is that it would be too predictable for me to be anti-semitic <laughs> okay so like obviously everyone you know knows i'm a contrarian but i'm he's like out does the contrary right and says, yeah I respect in fact that. i'm not an anti-semitic yeah because you could have guessed that but uh, well, self-condemned, he has to flee England because he was at one point a sympathizer, and he's like in Canada and sad. And it's written very soberly <laughs> as composed to, as, as compared to his other books. But the new edition, since Black Sparrow went out of print, is books exploring Canada by some like D D grade D grade press. Books exploring Canada, self-condemned. Was he? Wasn't he like born? There's like a myth of his birth. Like he claims he was born on a ship on the coast of Prince Edward Island. <laughs> I don't know. That's awesome. There's a lot of writers that are like half Canadian, semi-Canadian. Okay, such as Malcolm Lowry. I think Under the Volcano is sort of Canadian. Okay, he's in. Oh. I th- but he lived. I think. I think he was born in Canada. There are very few full Canadian. Writers. Very few. <laughs> Margaret Atwood. This is a good game you can play. Alice Munro. <laughs> We're the fully Canadian writers. They're I very can't few. think of like Sheila Hetty right in the pod. Sheila, Sheila Hetty. Yeah. There have to be some. Yeah. There's like four. There's like a small cabinet. I really yeah. can't think of them. Robertson Davies. Do you know him? I oh yeah, yeah. I've not read him, but <laughs> my parents have a couple of his books. Yeah, seventies. <laughs> the like, Rebel Angels. Or yeah, whatever. the Rebel yeah, Angels. Yeah. Harold Bloom really likes him. Yeah, yeah he's wow. actually good. But uh, who knows? Yeah, there's. There's not enough. What's going on up there? I'm asking myself this all Saul the time. Saul Bellow originated in Montreal, but famously, Saul Bellow is American, though. Yeah, but Saul Bellow also people hate now. Yeah, I mean, oh really? He's fallen out of favor. If you say you like Saul Bellow, people laugh at you. What? Why? I, I don't know. It's sort of. How did he get so? I say I like Saul Bellow. So now you can laugh at, you at me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Saul Bellow is. I think it's just like that generation of male writers who got. Like Philip Roth too, and my name is three, and maybe you mean all our favorite writers. You mean all our all the <laughs> gods like of this them. podcast. <laughs> I like those writers, but they really like. If you say you like them, I think to certain no. People. Philip, I feel like Philip Roth weirdly has escaped a lot of that because he just had his whole big, you know. He also just died at the, uh, the perfect time. Yeah, he had his whole party in uh, mm. Newark for him. Maybe that, he has. There's a, there's a New York Times article. Bella about. does seem just less even. He lacks even the kind of like intrigue or like you know, transgressive properties of a Roth. 
I just couldn't get through Augie March. Well, no one has. That one's not as good. Yeah. I like the explosion of language, but I didn't finish it. Herzog is good. Herzog's fucking great. And then... Humble's the, Gift. The one about the guy who goes to Africa. Is that Humble's Oh, Henders in the Ring. Yeah, that one's a little bit... <laughs> that hasn't like aged well, to be honest. <laughs> There's a very funny part about his bridge breaking on the plane, though. Like his dental bridge. Really? And then he, before he goes. So like, oh, that's why Martin Amos likes Saul Bellow so much. <laughs> yeah. We've discovered dental it finally. Yeah. The dental motif. Talk I, about the little cottage industry yeah. motifs you can make up. Actually, people hate Martin Amos now, too, a lot. Like, what? On Twitter, if, if people post what? Martin what Amos. Are you, you're saying people. You're just We've never met any of these people. Killing our gods. Yeah. But this is just like the... The discourse. I I, right. I, I this is like the discourse. Martin Amos a lot. Discourse report. People will be like, "Why did anyone ever like Martin Amos?" Like, Two hundred likes. Fuck up. You know, but it'll be posting like he has purple prose sometimes. Like there's a very weird part in the information where there's a homeless woman who like he describes as looking like a purple dwarf, <laughs> nice. and she keeps appearing like every ten pages, <laughs> which retrospectively is like this is not very good, Martin. But it's like. Someone posted that and was like, why did we ever like Martin Amos? But he's clearly, period. it's clearly just a reflection of his own insecurities about being a dwarf, right? I guess. Uh, yeah. It's still not. That's what it is. It doesn't offend me, dwarf. but it's very, it's not like good. I'm going to start calling people that. Like, yeah, I saw another purple dwarf eating a tuna milk in the park. Uh, it was stabbed by a purple and tour of on 123rd Street. Oh my God. He's writing a book about race relations in America right <laughs> oh, now. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, yeah, to write one about 9-11 too, I think, right? He wrote a book called The Second Tower. What? Did he? Yeah. It's, a, it's a collection of essays, I think. Oh. Hell yeah. But I think the eponymous essay is called The Second Tower. Oh my God. I cannot wait for his book about race relations yeah. in America. It might just be boring though. I can imagine him being like... Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I could imagine him just taking the right-minded views. Yeah, it's just like garden just variety. Because like, he lives yeah. in Brooklyn now. That's true. I have heard, I feel like I heard through the grapevine he's become kind of a lib now, like MS, MSNBC liberal. That, that would be funny if we were just yeah. like... <laughs> just <laughs> a telling very, the, a very the line. Take yeah. <laughs> about the evils of, <laughs> of the MAGA Republicans and it the probably, hypocrisy. It probably will be that. Yeah, that'll yeah. be, that'll be disappointing. Go back to his purple... he has the most the last book i think his last novel or no i didn't read the one that was him and christopher hitchens novelized it sounds so boring i read part of that but i i love his book experience which is a better version i like money the most i think which has the i couldn't get into money really i've actually not finished most of his fiction apart from time's arrow did you finish money uh no did you guys get to the opera scene (laughs) Didn't make it there. Oh no. God. So it's like, I think he's taking a prostitute to the opera. Okay. And a rented tuxedo that, that he's morbidly obese. So they have to like get him into it and they sort of tie him in. And he's nice. at a like five hour opera and it's... um. Uh, He's making this prostitute sit through an entire opera. Uh, maybe maybe it's not a prostitute. He better have paid her a lot because I swear to God, I cannot sit through those things. <laughs> maybe it's not a prostitute. Worse than any sex act, really. It's... <laughs> have you ever been to the opera? I, I, I oh my like god, it's so boring. <laughs> but any, this guy. So what happens is they get they like winch him into this tuxedo, and he can't. He has to pee at one of the intermissions, and he can't get out. And it's this incredible ecstatic description of having to pee for like three hours, and it's like That's becomes awesome. a hot balloon of piss, and he eventually becomes like ecstatic and begins weeping for joy at the opera. So that part of money is amazing. Okay, I'll check it out. Yeah. It's worth it. I own it, so I'll... You should like, fuck yeah. that. 
Maybe I'll skip ahead to the. Yeah, I'll, the ch- big, I'll check in the on that tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the hot balloon of piss very clearly. The hot balloon. I do like that. Yeah. That's the best thing to do at the opera. Just <laughs> winch yourself into a much too small tuxedo <laughs> and then try to go pee at intermission, fail, <laughs> return to your hired company. <laughs> Take a whore to the opera. Yeah. That sounds lo- What's your problem with opera? I just, it bores me to tears. I was just like. <laughs> I thought you were all like hyped up on opera. No, that's like, no, the problem is a lot of people I hang out with are. Well, why are you hanging out yeah. with opera goers if you load the <laughs> opera? I don't, I just like can't, I don't know. I just felt, I felt so disappointed. I really wanted to be into it. And then like within two minutes, I was like, maybe I was seeing the wrong one. I don't know. Well, I'll try it again. Medea. Mm. Yeah. So like a Greek oh, yeah. tragedy? Yes, about this broad who, uh, I don't remember. Kills her kids? Yeah, that's They're right. Doing she that. did kill her kids. <laughs> I left it at intermission. Do it they have subtitles at the opera? Of course. Yeah, yeah. They have this little this little That's baby cool. screen that like will show you what's happening. Have you and ever you translated can, like, an opera? Go through it. Actually, that's a funny <laughs> story that I was supposed. So this is a can of worms. Actually, <laughs> oh, no. open but, it. Open okay, it. Okay, this one I can because this yeah. guy Konstantin uh, Bagamolov, who used to be really good friends with Sarokin, is like the best was the best conceptual theater director in Moscow. Mm-hmm. Really a revolutionary talent. Has since become like a Putin lover nice. shill. Um, but he was supposed to reach out to me to translate the um, a redo opera text that Vladimir had written for The Triumph of Time and Senselessness by Handel. But the, he just Google translated instead. And I went nice. to the opera and it had the titles on the side of the screen that I was supposed to do and it was like, incomprehensible but it turned out to have been there was like the opera had some problems uh bugamolo's staging had like um blackface in it so oh. <laughs> is, you're gonna uh, say like people had their back to the audience no, <laughs> no it was like it, and the, there was like a whole bugamolo so this sorokin to be very clear did not there's sorokin just wrote like poetry that right. bugamolo staged so sorokin had nothing to do with the blackface yeah. but when i was watching there's like <laughs> A guy pretending to be disabled eating ice cream and spitting it all over the stage. Like, it was insane. And, like, there was then a whole part where it was like they were showing the ISIS executions on a big screen. And, like, four elderly women left and, like, were very audibly saying bad things about it. It was, um. It sounds kind of brilliant, actually. It sounds right up my alley. <laughs> it was, um, pretty surprising. Oh I was just like, whoa. Because <laughs> it. And it wasn't actually exactly blackface. It was like someone, it was actually mm. worse, kind of. Oh, okay. <laughs> In what sense? Worse than blackface. <sighs> no, I mean, it was like, I don't remember exactly. I'm not even sure. No, I mean, it was just, it was, oh, God. <laughs> I'm like desperate to see a video of this opera It's now. probably on the internet, to be honest. But it's all Bagamolov, who's a Vatnik shill, so... Uh, he can take the blame. But he was once a very good theater director. But the thing is, he got really anti-woke. That's the reason for right, it. Right, right. He, he was actually paid... This is the crazy part about this, is he was paid by the Kremlin to be anti-woke. So he wrote a whole like editorial that was like, why Europe is being destroyed by woke. And right. like Russian. Okay. And so he went from being like the guy who was... People were protesting his uh, staging of Brothers Karamazov because there was like simulated sex to being like... The guy who was being super anti-woke in his redos of Handel 
And then that was the point when Sorokin stopped working with him. And then he did like a version of Demons, the Dostoevsky thing that he starred in, that he turned nice. into commentary on wokeism. What do you what do you call woke in Russian? Woke, I think. It's just woke. I don't okay. they don't really There's no cracker jack version. No, there's no cracker jack version of it. But that I think it's so weird to imagine like that's the interesting thing about the Kremlin is they're funding this sort of postmodern stuff for a while. Or like they, they were funding weird stuff that you cannot imagine in America, like Trump funding <laughs> So yeah, wasn't isn't one of Putin's dudes like wasn't he involved with the avant garde? I forget yes, his yeah, name. Yeah, I only know this from the Adam I know Curtis yeah, documentary, yeah. but yeah. and that's Same. therein lies the extent of my knowledge on the subject. But friend of the show, I remember Adam being Curtis. a little yeah. excited at first. I'm like, damn, what do you mean he's Putin's <laughs> avant garde? Yeah, but of course, as we said, even our friends, the modernists, they were all fascists. So yeah. who the fuck knows? But you can imagine Putin watching the like ice cream mess and the I- ISIS execution in the supper and being like good the, the anti-woke agenda is succeeding <laughs> but no the, the craziest thing is dugan as well the, who's just a straight fascist um he came up with mamleyev who is a short story writer and limonov who you guys probably know about the auto fictionist who became who founded the national bolshevik party blah 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 um, yeah vaguely <laughs> he so Wait, they auto fiction is what's wrong with the, the auto fiction here in this regard he was an auto fictionist to. Auto fiction's good. His his book his early books are good. But the issue, as Will self teaches us, yeah. auto fiction is auto-fiction good. Auto fiction is fascist. <laughs> no, but he he he. So he em- emigrated here, and actually his the, his first most famous book is called "It's Me, Eddie." His mm, wife, oh, I, yeah, I yeah. His wife leaves him. His very beautiful, as he describes it, wife leaves him, and then he's like so desperate that he starts sleeping with men. Right. Oh, nice. <laughs> I was once chastised at a conference for saying he was bisexual because of that. Oh. Yeah, like, you're supposed to say he's a man having sex with men. It's like, oh, okay. Okay. Whatever you say. Mm, all right. So when was that book written? It's me, Eddie. Um, 1980. Yeah, I think there's something. a Joan Updike essay on it. It's a really good book, actually. But then, so he returned to Russia and became a fascist, basically. Oh. So it's pretty interesting that there's a whole... There's a, the one Probably the preeminent... Se- second most preeminent, because Dugan's the most... Russian fascist has a book about being so sad your wife leaves you that you try out homosexuality. <laughs> <laughs> that that tracks somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's funny to imagine like his super homophobic, like jock idiot followers being like trying to explain it away. Like it was just America. Like you know. Yeah, America does crazy things to you. Yeah. I guess there's some. It sort of tracks with like insult dumb or something like yeah, that. Yeah, sure. You have nowhere to go, but. But your homies. Does it really track, though? (laughs) I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't think it tracks that much. Well, you just become misogynistic enough that you have to just fuck a dude. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Sure. I've never felt that way myself, but... Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't... Interesting. Limanov. Oh, what I was saying is that he... So, Dugan... The Russian fascist guy who's like one of Putin's, it's hard to tell how much he actually has influence, but he certainly has some influence, came up in the black magic circle of this famous short story writer where they would actually do black magic rituals. And Dugin and Limonov started the National Bolshevik Party and Dugin would just write these unreadable books about black magic and Heidegger. Mm. And now he's like a... Sounds terrible. The face of anti-globalism in Russia. Mm. Like, Which so is worse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, both are, both are pretty bad. But just a weird thing in Russia, how there's like this pipeline to like 
extreme art or extreme philosophy, I guess that's what that would be, to being a political actor, which is kind of strange. Like, I can't imagine, I don't, I don't, to be honest, the idea that like how Bogomolov would have become a state, like a government mouthpiece, I don't understand how that's possible, but it's just, it is, it did happen. Maybe you just need the avant-garde to, you know, construct these devices. I don't think so, though. Probably not. But I like the idea of avant-garde propaganda or something like that. What if there were, like, I mean, anti-woke propaganda in America that was, like, hyper-avant-garde? I mean, I think there's a developing canon of it, perhaps, but... Not hyper-anti-woke, though. There would be, like, something that's, like, we would rather just focus on the art. There's nothing that's, like, blackface. Right. There's some shit on the internet (laughs) that's getting close. And we don't, I mean, you know, we're getting strained dangerously close to the discourse here. We're getting dangerously close to the discourse, which we... Which we... We avoid, like, the plague. We do. We shun it. (laughs) Our listeners don't like when we... (laughs) Muddy the waters. We're meant Um, to be in a bubble of autofiction and Scandinavia. That's good. Have you guys read The Morning Star? Mm, uh, I read the first three chapters of it. Mm. I, I liked it. it. I enjoyed it. Mm. Did you? Yeah, I like it a lot. I heard somebody say that now he's become Stephen King. Yeah, I said that. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I remember reading that and thinking, yeah, that's an interesting that. take. Yeah. Well, because The Morning Star is like a highly successful Stephen King novel. And then his new book, which I read in German, is like a less successful Stephen King novel. What's the new book? Wolves from the Forest of Eternity. Mm, that... Quite a. <laughs> it's from an Anna Akhmatova poem. An, actually. Oh, really? No, it's from a. It's from another Russian poet. I think it's Chitayeva. It's from a Chitayeva poem. Yeah. But um, can Osgood have a presence in in Russia? His books exist in Russia. Well, he uh, did that New York Times article about traveling on a train through Russia. Why is he always yeah. traveling? He's around? he's a Russophile. I think it doesn't yes. go the other way though. I don't think they give that much of a shit about him. I'd be interested what he has to say now about yeah. it. But like his new book takes place half in Russia actually. Yeah. It's a thousand pages. It's sort of like well, uh, it's it's less successful than the Morning Star. It's yeah. sort of like an interesting failure, I guess. Because it's like very long and there's almost no supernatural stuff. And it's basically yeah. like in the last 10 pages, it hooks up to the Morning Star. But before that, it's just like a family story about a lost relative in Russia. Hmm. Which is kind of like, eh, do I really need this? I wonder if he, does he, is, does he read Stephen King? Do you think? Yeah, yeah. He was, someone oh. in an interview was like, this is like a Stephen King book. And he's like, I'm thrilled that you would make this <laughs> comparison. <laughs> I was like, I think it was. Someone in that same interview was like, um, "Are you like um, asked if he thought canned fish was hot girl food or something?" And he was like, "Oh, oh I'm sorry, I don't." Well, know. that's that's thanks to us yeah, that yeah, he was yeah, asked this, that. This is yeah, a cir- we made a circle. Yeah, now. yeah, we've come and full he, circle. And he was like, "I'm sorry, I'm afraid I don't know what you <laughs> what you mean by that." <laughs> uh, the closest we have ever come to interviewing Knausgaard. Yeah, Tori. So Tori Peters did that interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she actually invited me to like be in on the interview, but I was like, that's probably not a good idea. And also I'm sure the editor wouldn't have approved it. Yeah. But um, it was really sweet of her. But yeah, I'm really glad she got that question in at the end. Yes. And His reaction he was so was baffled so by it. Yeah. He's like, I'm afraid I have no heard. He's such this. a pure man, I think. He really, I think he is. Yeah. He's. And he's no snob about things. I guess not. No. He's really like, he likes Stephen King. He loves, I, read, uh, I don't think I've 
He loves iron and wine. With Stephen King's, I was like, <laughs> he loves 12. Starbucks music. He listened to Father John Misty's at like yeah, one yeah, of his yeah. albums the whole time he was writing the Morning Star, which is yeah. so it's so fire. Yeah. I love Father John Misty. I like Father John Misty too, but it's funny to like. It doesn't match at all. Really? Yeah, that's. That's no, cool I think that he that's like him. classic Gen X dad things that Gen X dads like. That's yes, but like the whole book is about dread and like the supernatural, and it's like an ironic <laughs> ballad. And, like, going it can't, it's you know, amazing. you don't want to lay it on too thick and just listen to uh, I don't know Brian Eno or <laughs> Lustmord. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine writing to Father John Misty. There's a lot of too many words. Yeah, verbal heft. I was gonna say it distracts me. But maybe he's not distracted by English as That much. could be. Yeah. Although you can sometimes be distracted more by a second language you're really good in. Uh, well, I'm... Potentially. I'm not very good at any other languages. I pretend to know French, but I don't really... Are you a polyglot, then? Yeah, I know a few. Oh. <laughs> 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 so my, this is my job. <laughs> that is his job, yeah. yeah. But there's some translators that seem to not actually really be conversant in the language that they translate. This is my own imagination. Oh, no, that's true. And, like, I definitely, some of, my, some of my languages further down the list, I'm not, like, if I spoke, I would be fine, but I wouldn't be, like, this guy's an amazing speaker. But just, right. like, reading and speaking are different competencies. So, like, if you spend a long time reading, you'll get good at it, and that doesn't actually make you good at speaking, basically. Right. Can you read Norwegian? No. No. Oh. So then you can't comment on the... The, the OG Kanazgard. No, but I do actually think the German translations are a little seem a little bit um, more clean. Because it's somewhat closer? That could be, yeah. The the dialogue was also a little bit less. Sometimes the dialogue in the Kanazgard translations is really stilted. Mm. Oh, I just assume that's how his dialogue is. It was more it was more <laughs> popping. And, um, more and, popping? Yeah, more yeah. popping in the, in the German. <laughs> so I, was, I just kind of thought it was that. but um, Interesting. Yeah. You gotta talk to a Norwegian speaker again. Do you actually like Kanazgard? Yeah, yeah, of course. I was sort of surprised though because it seems like the other literature you think about is somehow heftier and or there's more like intense stuff going on with the word and image and mm. Kanazgard seems somehow I don't know more mundane. But I think I read it in a certain... I don't also think, like, for Andre, the untranslated guy, he and I have certain... Um, uh, that's the interview you read, it. Yeah. yeah. We have certain affinities and, like, our <laughs> taste uh, intersects, but I like... I like I love Brady Stanellis. I love... Right, you said that. I love... Um, I don't know. I like stuff that's sometimes very simple. Limonov, who is the guy who whose memoirs are... That we talked about. <laughs> right. Is like, and also Sorokin, it, so, some of his books are super broke but some of his other books are not are more like about imitation in a way that can be direct um so no i i think um uh, i don't i don't only go in for maximalism because i think that's boring right kind of. totally and there's you don't want to be one of the book bro guys oh my yeah, god that's bad <laughs> there's an industry of that isn't there well actually <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of those guys that's why if you I, cared to read <laughs> Yeah, that kind of sort of so, annoyed so. me so much that now I just, just try to be as <laughs> conventional as possible. Yeah, like, I'm only out here reading my updike and my bellow. Yeah, no, you actually seem very chill for like a guy who knows a lot of literature. Like you have a very like mild affect. Thank you. Like I imagine those guys as being all like very aggrieved and like ready to like, well, actually, you at the drop of a hat. Yeah. You know? That's the, I definitely went to a translation conference and was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you, you were out of place there, probably. Yeah, I also am out of place because I don't do it the way they do. Like, they say you're not supposed to do um, 
dialects, which is like a whole huge part of what I do with Sorokin. Because Sorokin oh, plays with different dialects. So I'm not yeah. like, oh, I'm just going to render this in flat English. That just seems wrong. Oh, why are you supposed to render it in flat English? It's just something people say that you're supposed to do that I don't what? think why? you're actually supposed to. It's just like truisms that aren't actually true. You know, like, but oh, just... That's so dumb. Why would you do that? Well, I mean, like, people do say, well, it isn't American English, but it's like the whole thing is in American English. So it's like, yeah. but this sounds like Southern Americans. And it's like, okay, so... <laughs> oh, my friend Brendan, who's a translator of, of Chinese, that's like his favorite thing is like finding like specialized like Yiddish words to translate a Chinese word as or like weird right, things actually, like that. Right, this is another thing I noticed in my research that it never occurred to me that a translator might do where you appeal to like a third text Hmm. Like or like you said, you like I don't know. Think about like Faulkner or Cormac McCarthy or Hemingway or yeah, yeah, or, yeah. or even films and other things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, Through which you you know like pour like I don't know. It's like a filter or something or or it's a way of making your vision clear somehow. Yeah, because we're. I mean, all books are operating out of a canon in a way, and especially in a translation, it would be foolish to imagine that you can like do something totally new. Mm-hmm. You can try that on your own, but in a translation, you shouldn't be like. Inventing a new language, <laughs> it'll be a failure, likely. I would think so. Yeah, I would think so. Have you ever tried to write like your own prose in a in another language? Uh, no, 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 no. Yeah, <laughs> no. That's why I mean, like, I think that it's really important to. This is some people don't agree with this, mm, and I think it's obviously admirable to try to write in another language. And I don't think there should be any barriers to anyone writing in English who whose native language it isn't. And some people may be very good at it, but I, some, I just think that like with myself, and I think this generally to be true, and I think it's especially true of translation, not necessarily with one's own prose, but with translation, I see people getting into a lot of trouble. They're like, I understand this text better than anyone. I'm insert nationality here. And you go, okay, yes, but actually, I can subcontract comprehension to anyone. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I can go, what does this mean? What is this idiom? Blah, blah, blah. Mm. But you can't subcontract the ability to render style because that's m- my job, basically. So it's very true. Yeah, that's I think people get into trouble with that. And uh, you're the guy that knows that you need pussy, not con. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> that is me. That's exactly exactly me. Um, we can all aspire to be that guy. Yeah. Well, didn't Beckett write? He wrote in French to like cl- simplify his prose. I think. I won't yeah, but I mean Beckett also. I'm not that big of a fan of Beckett, to be honest. Really? I kind of. I mean, I think he's okay, but I think it's like sort of. It's sort of just like a guy. It's sort of just typing, in a way. Yeah, well, I know Martin Amos hates Beckett. He says it makes his teeth hurt. <laughs> I'm serious. If I'm not wrong, it's what he says, which is... Yeah, it's it's actually not that much of a distinction, though, because presumably his teeth are Maybe his teeth always are hurting. hurting. Yeah. <laughs> he had a toothache before he I started. I think waking up makes his teeth hurt. Reading yeah. alone dies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the issue with him, with him is that, with um, Beckett, is that he frames all of his work as a reaction to Joyce. Mm. But he mm. was a student of Joyce. What that means is that... Didn't he it, fuck his daughter, too, and then she went insane? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. I mean, I, I think she was probably going to go insane <laughs> anyway. It was like, yeah, it's it seems good, like a one variable model there. It's like a George Costanza moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, um, but I think so. The work is basically just seems to me to be a very... sort. What he says, the famous thing is that whereas Joyce does more, I'm going to do less and reduce. Right. And I think that it's just sort of like a, a Nietzschean terms, like a resentment-filled project kind of. That's why I, I just end up finding it kind of boring and like not interesting. Whereas like Finnegan's Wake is super annoying, but it's interesting and liberating in a way. 
And I think the trilogy, Beckett's trilogy, and his later work even more so is sort of like at the end of the day, you go, okay, cool, good, good job. Yeah. It does almost just become silence, but... Not to mention his theatrical work is like a joke. Why do you say that? It's just, a, it's literally a punchline. <laughs> like, end game. <laughs> I kind of like the, the seemingly the tomfoolery. Yeah, Drew's a tomfoolery guy. People slipping on bananas. <laughs> it's one of his favorite bits. A guy getting pulled off the that. stage with a cane never gets old. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a purple dwarf. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Entering that's stage, right? That's the kind of thing people rediscover and that it's like... That's also why I'm glad, I'm glad I can set the record straight about Bogomolov's production of <laughs> The Triumph yeah, of Time and Senselessness. Yeah, dying to... So now if, right. if anyone somehow stumbled across this on YouTube, they'll be like... Vladimir wrote that stuff? No, he didn't. Yeah, that's yeah. But this is now in the Let public record. Known. Pu- Let it Bugamola be known. Let it be known. did that yeah. before Vladimir stopped working with him because he's being paid by Putin. But Martin Amos did write the purple purple dwarf part, <laughs> so he can get in trouble for that still. Does Vladimir have any thoughts on Kanazgard? Does he know? Uh, that? well, I shouldn't say them. <laughs> oh. Well, we kind of want we want Kanazgard to write an article about Vladimir eventually, but oh. the love is not exactly a two-way street. Damn. No, Vladimir hasn't read that much. I, I gave him my struggle in Russian. Yeah. And um, I don't think it took. <laughs> it didn't take. Maybe it doesn't take for everyone. He should come on the show. He should well, listen he should, to the show. He should listen to this episode, and then we'll probably do anything but convert him to the cause. Yeah. Probably, he'll steer clear. It's just going to be Will Self 2.0 episode. <laughs> He's going to say the exact but same Will thing. Will Self today in that essay that... <laughs> yeah. Wait, you, I want to get that essay out. I really to which enjoyed looking at that. He did write a little more, Wait, at least neutrally. That's my phone. Oh, that's yeah, fine. About, about Knausgaard. We talked about Knausgaard when we were hanging out in New York last year. And he was like, he didn't seem... With you guys, he seemed like he hated Knausgaard. Yeah, there was an enmity there. But now he just sort of seems like, I don't know. I mean, not for me. Um... I also think, like, you just have to think about, how, like, the, with Sorokin, with Vladimir, like, he writes in a way that's fundamentally antithetical to the way that Knausgaard writes. Right. So, of course, they're going to, like, have this sort of weird Well, that's divergence. why I was interested in your liking of Knausgaard, just because mm-hmm. it didn't seem obvious at first. Mm-hmm. But I suppose, why couldn't you have diverse tastes? Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes writers also get very interested in their personal project in a way. Also, you have to keep in mind, like, yeah, Will's style is just so good. Right. You have you have you read any of his novels? Oh, yeah, Precious yeah. little. I read uh, Lauren's the fan girl. Okay, sorry, I'm not. <laughs> this is a motif that Lauren will get microphone. up. Lauren yeah. gets up to find something. <laughs> Usually, it takes an hour. Well, you know, women in their finding of things. She rummaged through her purse. <laughs> women are teacher, women are always rummaging through. I had a writing teacher that said, "Whatever you do, don't use that phrase." <laughs> Really? She rummaged through her purse. <laughs> <laughs> that is a common phrase. Uh, it sounds like something can use. No, but I mean, I think it because, yeah, self is all style. He's, yes. he's a style guy, so of course he would abhor Knausgaard, who, as we have discussed ad nauseum, is not a style guy. But isn't his lack of style also a style? Well, I think Will's answer to that is no. Yeah. <laughs> I think, actually, what I, I could maybe add something to the discourse, because I'm... Do uh, theoretically do. Uh, not the discourse, but the uh, the bubble. Let's say as yeah. the bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, the bubble. Basically, I think that Knausgall was trying to become a Hanke figure. So if you've read, because that's his favorite writer, Peter yeah, Hanke. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And so if you read through Hanke's books, Hanke's really good at immersion. 
So basically you're reading like this weird account of a landscape that then turns into other things that then it's like very poetic, but you can see the effects that Knausgall took, but actually Knausgall couldn't do the other parts of it. Like he, in a certain way, I think he's a writer who had to teach himself to be a good writer who had to like do a trick to become a good writer because I don't think it came easily to him Hmm. at all I don't think he's someone who naturally just sat down and the words flew onto the page interesting Hmm. I think he had to trick himself into writing and I think he wanted to be a Hanke but couldn't so but the thing he took from Hanke is not the actual power of the sentence or the paragraph but the ability to immerse Hmm. so what Hanke does is he immerses you in like an 150 page text which will be like theoretically about someone killing someone who they see draw a swastika on a rock, but it's really just about like rock formations and like mm. <laughs> sunsets. But you, you feel very present in the text as you read. Whereas Knausgaard goes, I'm gonna take this immersiveness and just write about something very mundane for a long time. So I think that Knausgaard is a failed Hanke who then became a sort of like um, experimental memoirist. Yeah. In, a, in an interesting way. And then now is becoming a Stephen King figure. Because like he's writing a five-book series about the supernatural. This dude does not let up. He writes too much. To be he writes so him. much. That, Vladimir says that a lot. That the most important thing a writer needs to do is learn how to shut up. Because it's, uh, more, it's more interesting yeah. when you don't write something. Yeah, it's more interesting to start a podcast. Yeah, definitely way more interesting. To start you, should, a podcast. you should write like five books, I think, in your career, kind of. I don't think. Ooh, yeah. interesting. I don't think. Because if you write too much, you sort of not only devalue what you're saying. You also, I think you sort of are meant to, Vladimir describes it as like game birds, which I guess, I don't know, in Russian, game like birds? pheasant, like pheasant or something, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that you, that you put under the cabin. Very relatable example. For the winter, <laughs> is what he says. You put it under the cabin for the winter, so it gets just the right amount of rot. Oh, so it, okay. Yeah. I think rot. I mean, so you can some, eat it? Like, so it tastes better. And he says like that's fermented? what writing is. So you need to like. The ideas like the game bird <laughs> that you put under the cabin <laughs> for the winter, so it's ready to. So it's it a nice simile. Good. That's I'm a nice. Start using this in it seems like a very Russian, very. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know the reason simile. I'm not writing more these days is like, like a game bird. <laughs> My game bird is under the cabin. <laughs> you tell your students that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My pickle is fermenting. <laughs> yeah. It's not yeah, just ready like a I feel like there's actually a lot of available similes that have to do with just letting something sit. And he chose game, game bird to... under the cabin. Well, he, that's where his cap- be some <laughs> Russian peasant shit. Yeah, he, well, it really that's because is, his, yeah. his grandpa was a really big hunter and like he nice. went hunting when he was a kid. Yeah. That's where his... He loved this shit. Russian writers gotcha. love this. This, is, this, yes. this writer yeah. I was saying about Sergei Aksakov, whose name I'm probably mispronouncing. He's, I said the book is called like A Boy's Memories, but it may as well be called that. Are it's you sure just you're not like, thinking of Tobias Wolf? <laughs> a Boy's Own Story. <laughs> Sorry, good to uh, <laughs> Didn't they make a movie of that with Leonardo DiCaprio? I think they made, yeah. Uh, anyway. We should watch that. We um, should. <laughs> 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 a story called Bullet in the Brain, which always annoys me that people in MFA programs jerk off over. But anyway, uh, what was I saying? Oh, the, this Aksakov guy, As- Askakov. I once went back to Grinnell, and I was sitting in the random cafe there years after graduating, and the Russian professor found me randomly. Oh, Todd and I told was just him like, I've been reading Exakov, and he like went into a reverie and told, s- s- talked for hours about Russian food and Russian literature. Anyway, yeah, there's Todd's like pages guy. and pages and pages of descriptions of hunting of the hunt, so, yeah, like, yeah, hunting yeah. in this like provincial area of Russia, and like his grandfather went hunting and fishing, and, just, <laughs> and even in the gift, Nabokov is like they get. He, he gets in an argument with his literary rival that you later learn it's actually an imagined argument that he wishes he could have had. Mm. So he's just arguing with himself. And they're like, yeah, but when Turgenev describes the hunt, you know, the description of, like, the sound of the gun on the water, it's not as good as whoever's. Right. 
Yeah. That's awesome. Like, yeah, that, that does seem very Russian. Sketches from Hunter's Elm is so good. I should read that. It's really good. That's another Canals Gold favorite. He definitely stole a lot from that. And that's the whole reason he goes on the Russia trip in the New York Times. Uh, yes, he references that in yeah. the in that article. Yeah. That's a very cool book, actually. Underrated. Wait, what is it called? The Sketch it's got like four names in English. Hunter's album, sketches from a hunter's album, something else. I mean, like everyone retitles it. Yeah, I could get into that. I, I want to just like get immersed in like. To write just didn't like in pastoral a Russia. Virgil, didn't he write a big book on just yeah, yeah. agriculture? Georgic. The, well, maybe I'm saying that wrong. Georgics or Georgics. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. You could just like retreat and write yeah. that in the pages. Yeah, yeah. Hunting and fishing and farming. It's Damn. kind of that one's kind of that's dull, kind of real dull, dudes though. dudes rock territory. That is that's dude. a real yeah. that's real man man literature. <laughs> well, the Virgil one is really about like crop rotation too. Hell yeah, it's kind nice. of boring. I was actually I was excited to read that because of the uh, I, I tried to read it pretty soon after the sketches from Hunter's album, but it was like uh, <laughs> didn't take it did not crop take crop rotation. Think about a lack of style. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think a, a great writer can. Uh, well, can I guess really in life and crop rotation. It feels so strange to contemporary, yeah, feed readers. But actually, it makes a lot of sense that that Sorokin, not that I really know his work at all, wouldn't care for Kanausgard because Kanausgard must seem so effete to him if he's like a Soviet dissident. He's like, oh, you're worried about like getting cucked at rhythm time, like <laughs> you loser. I think it's more like he. Vladimir thinks a lot about style too. I think it's the same thing as the. It's just a style thing. thing. It's, it's yeah. just like I think he just read like a hundred pages of my struggle and was like, "Well, I'm not sure." It's like that's what Hanki said. Poor, <laughs> it's actually pretty funny. Hanki was Han, um, Hanki said when someone asked him about Canals Gold, he was like, "Oh, you know this guy's so influenced by you, he's so popular." And he said, "That does something for my wife." <laughs> and like <laughs> Canals Gold was like, "I heard what he said." <laughs> <laughs> I actually went to a museum. You know Knausgaard cried about that. Yeah, went to a museum in Vienna that had, it was a literature museum about, seemingly Austro-Hungarian, though I suppose, where's Hanke actually from? He's from Vienna. Oh, yeah, okay. Although he famously has um, Serbian heritage. Right, right. <laughs> I, I, I don't really understand the full extent of the controversy, but there was a big exhibit on him. But the, first of all, a museum about literature is actually profoundly dull because <laughs> sounds all really you can do is read it, and this was all in German. Yeah, I'd rather so go to the medical. So there was just like a picture of the, 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 the writer, and then like some archival footage or pages of their work, but <laughs> not, awesome. not being able to read German yeah. when all you have is presented like a picture and <laughs> a segment of the writing, it's completely useless. Yeah. Did they? Did like, they yeah, even have Joseph like? Roth, uh, there's Musil. Did they at least have like desks, like writing desks? They had some desks. Yeah, they okay. had a, they had a um a pair of trousers that belonged to Thomas Bernhard that okay were just semi-destroyed or like cut in a some sort of accident have you seen the picture of uh welbeck wearing uh, no i Han Key's jacket I oh no i haven't seen it's it. no. so funny Hold on, let me find this. so there was some cool memorabilia i read the i read the map in the territory recently you know i've never read that, that i boy. i liked it while i was reading it but it didn't stick with me at all i well i like welbeck a lot but his new book was bad i think he kind of lost the plot a little bit you think so well, I think he's just so far in the... He's so reactionary, and I think yeah. that's sort of just, like... He gets boring. Yeah. Um, because his new book is, like, about the evils of euthanasia, which is, like... Does anyone care about this? Like, this is... Like well, a, it is oh, a yeah, there's a, there's a euthanasia subplot in... But it's a talking the territory. about euthanasia, like, on the right. I know, I know, but it's, my, that's exactly right. It's so fucking bizarre boring. Bizarre Twitter feed yeah. about, like, Canada. You know, it's like, this is where <laughs> we're headed. 
they're ch- you can get that, euthanized yeah, because is, you're depressed. Yeah. Well, speak, so are we speaking of, the everyone week? else can Google this who's listening. <laughs> well, back in Bernhardt's jacket. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. It's actually weird that he likes Bernhardt, though, because Bernhardt was famously left-wing... Also very stylistically focused, but I guess they both hate life. In I guess theory. he's gonna nihilist. Mm, that'll that'll bring perhaps. people together for yeah, sure. They do. Yeah. No, the the Welbeck book to read is Elementary Particles. That's okay. the really okay. good one. And then submission's good. The thing that's smart about submission that is so stupid about his new book is that when I first read about submission, I was like, oh great, he's just writing a Marine Le Pen book because it's about um, you know Muslims winning right. the presidency. But it ends up being an ode to the Christian medieval ages. That's okay. like, oh, a Muslim president is great. And it doesn't actually seem like it's a joke. Like he does, he seems to really mean it, which I was yeah. like, that's that's good. I would much rather read that than like uh, some insane right wing screed against. Well, maybe that's why there's no Canadian writers all getting euthanized. <laughs> I really can't think so of many, one. So many great Canadian writers are euthanized before they could write their greatest Our Canadian novel. Listeners are gonna, uh, I have to look now because I, I feel bad. Canadian. They they you all know, were about I mean, to finish Alice their Monroe, manuscript and euthanize themselves. Margaret Atwood. <laughs> Yan Martel, the guy who wrote Life of Pi. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Malcolm Lowry, maybe. No, there aren't um, that many. There's this Russian, this Russian Jew- Soviet Jewish writer who's Canadian also. What's his name? There's, um, uh, he's good, though. Michael Ndache. Oh. Shout out English patient. Shout out English patient. <laughs> Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> okay, now we're really he's Canadian. the bottom of the barrel <laughs> here. claiming him? Damn. The list is, oh, Cory Doctorow. Didn't he write a book about the Civil War? No, that was E.L. Doctorow. Corey Doctorow. <laughs> 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 yeah, Ragtime by Corey Doctorow. <laughs> I think he's a sci-fi dude. But actually, I, he writes on Twitter about the rights to like uh, change your smartphone and shit. My Twitter feed is becoming a bizarre pastiche. Yeah, the, the amount of... It's actually crazy how much transparently evil white nationalist stuff is just like in the for you thing automatically it's insane my 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 girlfriend saw my various feeds and they're like are you not a lunatic like kind of am it's like it's constantly giving me like is this is this what i think i'm thinking what's giving me fucking idiots like jackson hinkle like you know the guy who's like yeah totally pro-russia in america is like yeah get get this out of here i hate this I don't see anything but that at this yeah, point. Yeah, same here. It's like that, I'm happy to know that I'm not the only one suffering. No, from I was. This. Yeah, I was wondering if it was because of my. I get fight videos too. Oh God, that's <laughs> all the daily fight. Yeah, I get. I get. I fight hate this has got to be a gendered thing. I don't get any but of the these. The degree of people I've seen getting their asses beaten in like yeah, KFCs yeah. I've seen across people, America. Is, I've seen is people. Astonishing. I think getting killed. That'll just come up and yeah. it'll be like for you, like. But it's always vaguely right wing. Like that's how it's it's usually framed that way. Justified or not. Yeah. yeah and yeah, there's yeah. usually a racist subtext to like yes. I'm noticing certain patterns about Yeah, yeah, yeah. All way. the comments are like that. Fucking Hell, every it's time. horrible. And at first I thought like, is this just a bit? And then I like gradually realized like what was you know being said not so obliquely yeah it's like me pitching my little books and like this white nationalist hell it's so weird I think, i'm really relieved that i'm not the only no one. i think it's i think everyone I'm has absolved that. <laughs> it's horrible the worst thing is when it's giving me the vat you know the what people say is a vatnik soup because vatnik's a kind of russian coat quilted jacket oh. and a vatnik is also the term for someone who likes putin oh, okay so if you see the term on twitter vatnik soup it's like people who like putin Nice. So it's yeah. literally giving me Votnik soup shit, and I'm like, I'm the last person who you should be. Your algorithm is wrong. I'm like, get this out of here. 
Vatnik soup. Vatnik soup. I'm just looking over this Will Selfie essay about a car. car yeah, to, how do you say this dude's name? Cartoresco. Oh, God. I'm going to out myself. I don't know yeah. anything about Romanian. I think it's. Like and like the formatting Char- is so Char- the formatting like in the nation just fucks up whenever they try to do the reverse circumflex thing that is that accent and it looks <laughs> weird um there's probably a name for it that's not reverse or inverse circumflex um the, he, he, he's so funny he's writing two introductions to two two sorokin books actually oh will self yeah well, the counter who fails to receive this terrifying baptism of caresses becomes the protagonist of Solenoid and is condemned to subsist in the minatory, sublunary world it describes. He, he I love this that. guy. He loves that word. Is sublunary? Is it sublunary? S- sublunary? Sub, sublunary. Sublunary. Like under the moon? Under sure. the moon? That's one of those words. Yeah, that means under the moon. It's like, um, but it also means like imperfect. Oh, like fucked up. (laughs) Does Minotaur have to do with the Minotaur? Minotaur. Minotaur. It's like a warning, right? Yeah, yeah. warning. Will loves that word. Let's look for the best words in here. He had a fissiparous before. Separating the parts. Toxins that act as toxins. Yeah, sirens in French. Wait, how do you say it? Toxins. Toxins. Damn, like this dude. Minotaur's like admonition. The Will Self's introduction warning. for the um, Dalkey collection of Soviet stories. A lot of Vladimir's most famous stories are binary bombs, which means in the fir- first half it'll be like a very normal situation. Oh, bi- oh I love that. Binary yeah. bombs. And then the second half it'll be like some insane sex act or like nice. swearing. Or yeah. What about yeah. a non-binary bomb? And hey. <laughs> Will decided that his introduction should be a binary bomb. So... <laughs> Actually, in the footnotes, uh, so he writes this perfectly normal introduction. In the footnotes, he fucks a guy who's Tom Cruise's lookalike at his summer house in France. Nice. <laughs> That's a spoiler, but uh, that is a uh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. It's it's really graphic. It's That's amazing. awesome. Who invented that term, binary? Vladimir did. Oh, himself. yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, this is a really useful term. Wasn't one of Self's famous like '90s novels about a guy who has like a vagina in his behind his knee or something? Cock and Bull is the one about the two people who essentially develop uh, op- genitalia, uh, like opposite genitalia, like the, the man who has a vagina and then the. One. But does it isn't like in a weird place in his body, like on his leg I'm not, or something? I've actually read that one. That's one of the. That's I think one of the it is. Will Self, if you're listening to this, write in and tell us where that guy's vagina was on Will, his I body. Promise I, I promise I have it. Will, <laughs> <laughs> I've been meaning to read it. Where is pussy now? His where? Was. <laughs> 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 Will's. Everyone should read um, Will's trilogy, the new trilogy. What's that? Umbrella, uh, shark, and phone. I so I checked good. out phone from the library. It was so, so enormous. It's really good. Yeah, but then I had to return it to the library. I also checked out um, Teluria, but then I had to return that to the library that's before a, I could get through a page. Once the writer comes on the pod, I can never <laughs> yeah. read their work again. Yeah, that's actually kind of a thing where you know people and it's harder to read. Well, I actually don't like to talk to people whose work I'm intimately acquainted with on the pod. Oh, the one time I did it the subject refused to even put up the episode so <laughs> have us put up the episode. <laughs> and i was so excited you were oh he was like a little I'm boy speaking of course mm-hmm. of our enemy jeff dyer who's <laughs> dead to me is that true yeah <laughs> <laughs> why oh you don't know about it's this sort of lore no. at this yeah, point, it's just but lore. various audio problems as you've seen yourself and then 
um, our style. And, we were a bit his, cheeky uh, with him. Very simpatico, yeah. shall we say. That's funny. Yeah. But Will Self was... He was really good. A hell of a trip. He was game. Yeah, no, he was... I wish um, we could hang out with him IRL sometimes. He is, re- he is really fun. Yeah. The first time I met him was when he just absolutely destroyed Zizek at a talk in London. Like, Oh, I feel like I've seen that. There's a YouTube yeah, video. Yeah, I've seen it, he, yeah. He just destroys him. It's so funny. I like Zizek, but it's like... Yeah. He couldn't. He. I think he's used to getting people who don't actually discuss with him. Yeah, yeah. Or who are stupider than him, basically. Yeah. Like so Jordan like Jordan Peterson. Yeah, like Jordan Peterson, exactly. Where it's like, have you read any of Marx's book, <laughs> The Communist Manifesto? <laughs> it's like, oh. Canadian. Yeah, that's a Canadian. Canadian writer. writer. Canadian, Canadian writer. <laughs> also seems like a good candidate for euthanasia. <laughs> no. Possibly. <laughs> Take out Jordan Peterson before you get Alice Monroe. Yeah. <laughs> That is probably the best-selling Canadian writer right now. It probably Peterson. is. He's Almost like definitely. the Canadian scribe par excellence. Um, Did you guys see the funniest thing in the world? I know. Sorry. It's just, it was when he retweeted the milking porn. That he thought, <laughs> yeah, he what? Thought, he thought it was a CCP breeding camp because someone tweeted it at him as a what? joke. So it was yes. like, look at this CCP breeding camp. It's literally the, oh fun, my God. the funniest thing ever. Where he's like, look at this, all caps, unbelievable, all caps, Chinese, all caps. Communist, (laughs) all caps. Hell. (laughs) I mean, they haven't quite gotten there yet. Um, Dude, Chinese dissidents are so funny. They're like, talk it like, because dissidents are like basically innately cringe, which is why I'm kind of interested in Sorokin, because he seems not that cringe. But like just the the state of being a dissident, especially an exile dissident, really lends itself to like, just like one notedness. It's hard to be an artist and do it. Yeah. And, like, dude, I follow this Chinese dissident on Instagram. Wait, let me find it. He's, like, a cartoonist, and he just has, like, the most ham-handed cartoons that are, like, what's his name? Ba Jiu Tao. Why am I bringing this guy up? We're about to find out. Oh, yeah. It's, like, Xi Jinping with, like, a... He's like blowing notes from a a pipe and like the notes are the TikTok symbol and he's wearing a robe that's like the Chinese flag and stuff. It's just like, it's that's like amazing. A, <laughs> I did. Wanted war criminal and it's Putin like eating a hand. Oh it's just my like God. it's the most So yeah, it's I feel like yes, okay, no, this is the best one. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. It's just a guy it's just a shirtless guy who has two heads and one of them is Putin and one is Xi being. I had a, a dissident Uber driver from China and LA the other day who was trying to convince me that not only was COVID was a lab leak, not only was COVID a lab leak, which but, it is, yeah, yeah. Well, wait, <laughs> I think I think it probably was too. But he was trying to convince me that the Chinese government had intentionally leaked it. Yeah, I don't he, know about that part. <laughs> he was like, it was it was in order to stop the investigations of the concentration camps of the yeah, Uyghur I don't know people. About and that. I was like, yeah, <laughs> totally, <laughs> Not sure, yeah. but uh, you know. More power to you. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for there to be like a good dissident Chinese novelist because so far it's all pretty, <laughs> all pretty bleak. I haven't read Mo Yan, but he's supposed to be good. He's not dissident, but he's Mo like, Yan. Yeah, he's, he's all right. Yeah, similar status to Sorokin in the sense that he's like um, uh, entrenched in the country, but also like um, negative about it. Yeah, that's why Sorokin is interesting because he like has a complicated relationship to it. Um, and he didn't try to be a dissident writer for a long time, and only now is he really being forced in that role. 
does he go back to Russia or does nope. he no. can he go back to Russia he would probably be arrested yeah. at yeah. the border to be honest yeah. partially because this is actually kind of a funny story too the Guardian editorial that came out last year I don't know if you guys saw it's like the pyramid of power thing um, I translated he was like oh can we get this place somewhere I was like yeah sure and I think he was assuming he had written something about Crimea in 2014 that went in NYRB mm-hmm. and like that's great great periodical but it's not that big yeah and I think he thought it was going to be something like that. But instead, I, my friend knew an editor at The Guardian. And we got it published in The Guardian. And pretty much, like, my friends were getting push notifications from Apple News of, like, read what this Russian dissident has to say about Putin. Oh, my God. And it was, like, got something like 80,000, 80 million clicks. And it was, like, oh, fuck. Well, yeah. that's it. You are not going back to Russia now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if he really fully. I guess I should have asked throughout the process, but it was just quickly like, whoop, okay, there we go. So he's not like a, a hardcore dissident. He's like a well, so, soft dissident. No, he he hates Putin. He yeah. hopes that Russia collapses. I think, um, but uh, simultaneously, I think his most important thing is his art. So like, he, yeah, he it doesn't his politics doesn't just fully drive his art. Yeah. Yeah. That's when it gets really cringe. Yes. <laughs> like so he's, not, stuff like that. he's never going to write a gulag archipelago. basically. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the, also like, I think his books have a certain ambiguity to them in the sense. I think some of his satire is over identification. Like, yeah. uh, I was mean to G actually. I can be, I can be nice. Now he talks all about over identification the way where it's like, if, um, Leibach wearing the Nazi uniforms, Hmm. where it's like Zizek has a whole essay about how that's trying that actually makes Nazism look ridiculous because you over identify with something one of the books Dalkey is putting out is called Marina's 30th Love that is about a woman who's a lesbian dissident who it's her journeys around Moscow sleeping around mm-hmm. and um, being a dissident she can't come with men eventually she kind of hits rock bottom um, and meets a factory party secretary Mm-hmm. who fucks her, gives her first orgasm, and then she becomes a dedicated party member, and the book becomes 100 pages of, like, party slogans and word salad. Okay. So that's, like, over-identification <laughs> in a way that's not... It's, like... Is that a binary bomb? That is kind of a binary bomb, yeah. But it's sort of the opposite of a binary bomb. Mm. Mm. Also, is another person turning to homosexuality out of desperation? <laughs> no, turning to heterosexuality out of desperation. Oh. There you go. Yes. Um, well, you can go anywhere out of desperation, I guess. You know, any genital, <laughs> <laughs> desperate genitalia. Damn the the book about you. Uh, the book about Limona that's good is the French book about him by Emmanuel Carrère. I would recommend. Oh, I yeah, I've read a bit of him. So it's cool. a good book. Uh, but maybe even better than Limonov's own books, actually. Hmm. What Vladimir always says about Limonov is, after you've read Henry Miller, why the hell do you need to read Limonov? <laughs> like, I've enough. only read a f- little bit of Henry Miller because it seems like it would just po- poison me completely <laughs> more than I already am. <laughs> he uses the, the word em- Empyrean? Who? E-M-P-Y-R-E-A-N. Oh, means like heavenly, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Apprehensible Empyrean. Mm. Oh, I love him. Yeah, Will's the best. Yeah. Will is also he. Will is really actually a very sweet, very sweet man. Yeah, has he definitely. Been translated into Russian. Definitely, really, definitely. I I don't think the trilogy has. The trilogy. But there would be there are self heads hanging out in Russia. I would hope. I would love to meet a Russian self head. I would hope. Yeah. The 
writer that you, you guys may have saw this on Twitter, but Vladimir's big four for contemporary writers. Uh, the, actually, really, the only American novel that Vladimir really likes is um, Glamorama. Weird. By who? Brett Easton Ellis. Oh, fascinating. He loves that book. We had dinner with Brett in LA, and Vladimir, wow. Vladimir was like, um, just kind of like rehashing plot points to Brett. And it was like, <laughs> Brett, do you remember in the parking garage, three cars? And Brett's like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's so sweet. <laughs> yeah. Brett is also a shockingly nice guy. Yeah. I thought we should have him on the we pod. Should you should he actually lives in do New that. York, right? Yeah. No, he lives in New York. Well, we can still have him on the pod. He's really nice. Um, yeah, tell him next time you see him in LA, say hey. Okay. Go on, go on I don't know struggle. when Brett Easton Ellis got like cool. For the longest time, I thought he was sort of just faddish, but now he seems to be taken more seriously. He's such a good writer. I mean, like, yeah, I've I mean, never I, read I him. I only at read all. Um, Law, Rules of Attraction and Less Than Zero back in the day. I mean, American Psycho like, is amazing prose. I think people think of it in relation to the movie, which is a very right. cartoonish version of it. But the the book is so good and Glamorama as well, and his his new book's fun, uh, The Shards. Um, but Glamorama and American Psycho are the two to read. I thought Glamorama got some got some hate, but maybe I'm wrong. But isn't it about like the fashion industry? Or something? Yeah, it it did, but it's it's sort of coming back around. Right, that's what it's I'm coming saying. back around. The four I should b- check it out. Another book I need to never to try to read have you heard the kindly ones have you guys heard the kindly ones oh is that that's is that Paul? no the jonathan Littell book oh that's another anthony one Paul have a book called the kindly ones there might be it sounds like an anthony Paul book, that's a book yeah. in the, no i know i saw you i that's a book that i think i saw a lot in bookstores when i was younger it was like a hefty tome mm. but i never read it that's another one of vladimir's sort of like modern lit canon huh He's also the other guy I translate right now, Jonathan Littell. What is the kindly one? Wait, from what language? French. Oh, it doesn't sound like a French name. He's American. Oh. Um, But he was schooled in France, so he writes in French. But he he and I speak English. He sounds fully American. Why can't he just write in English? He wants to write in French. His books are are so French as well. (laughs) That's awesome. It fits really well in the French French literary canon in the sense that it's like transgressive um, sort of. uh, Like his new book, the one that I'm translating, newer book it's called an old story and it's like eight chapters about a being i guess it's, it's about human existence basically so you enter mm. different life spaces solitude death loneliness sex but yeah, in practice it's, familiar yeah it's like a lot of war scenes or orgy scenes or like um scenes of they're like it's a, it's a it's an incredibly cool book but it makes a lot more sense in, in french than it would in english i think um canonically speaking Seems like just because it's responding to certain french works yeah but mm-hmm. the the kindly ones is his really famous book. It's about the Nazi. Right. Um, that's it's an amazing book. It's like it's also just a page turner. My brother, my brother is I in like college. a nice page turner. Yeah, my brother who's in college is reading it, and it's so funny because he's on like his college rowing trip, reading the kindly ones in Florida. Oh, that's <laughs> so sweet. Yeah, 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 yeah. But his friends are like, "Yo, bro, what are you reading?" Like, <laughs> oh, very protracted sex scene with a side of ham, <laughs> SS officer. <laughs> nice <laughs> on leave <laughs> yeah but um no jonathan i, I that's a that's another cool one but no i mean glamour m and american psycho i think are pretty soon going to be viewed as just like indispensable american classics nice i should i should read them before they become indispensable american classics they're still edgy and yeah, still, yeah. people are you know it's, yeah. it's still a little bit controversial yeah well and just so I, when they do become indispensable american classics i've been like oh yeah i've known i've known that forever that they would join the canon yeah 
you know. Although now I put in this on record that I haven't read them. So <laughs> I think yeah. I put on the record that I haven't read. Them. Yeah, fuck. Okay, we can just bleep. We can just bleep this part, this yeah. part out. But that's kind of the. Yeah. That's kind of our brand. That's kind of our brand. Not reading. The, the not reading yeah, the right things. Not reading the right, right things. Time. Yeah. Is French um, easier to translate than Russian? Yeah, it was also my first language. Oh. Oh, it's your first language. I speak English much better though. I w- I lived in Brussels till I was like f- uh, three or four, and I had a French nanny. Oh, nice. Then I moved to Chicago. It's the dream. <laughs> I once ate a whole uh, wheel of camembert with my French nanny and threw up all night when I was like two. <laughs> She let you eat that? I think I don't know exactly the circumstances <laughs> of me eating it, but I just know it made me sick. I think she might have let me eat it because I was just too cute. To these resist. are these are the dangers of a French childhood. Yeah, <laughs> that Americans don't have to contend with. My French governess. Yeah. Force fed me. <laughs> Come on, man. When my grandparents were also visiting, my grandpa got Guillaume Barre from like eating some unpasteurized cheese or something. Oh my god! That had a weird reaction to, but yeah. it was fine. It's fun. Wait, when he was visiting America? France, when we were living in oh. Brussels, and then we went to France. Wow. Yeah, so the, the, I the that dangers f- of Europe are myriad. Yeah, I don't know if I should go there. I have plans to go there in May, but mm-hmm. it seems starting to seem dangerous. Unpasteurized. Yeah. <laughs> the biggest danger in Vienna was that when you tried to get a drink, you got like a thimble full of alcohol, and then you, <laughs> were, I guess, supposed to just nurse it, but... yeah. You know, I'm a bit, and of, read a, the, I'm a bit of a lush, read the local and it was news. very frustrating. <laughs> We went to a bar and there were all these like it was like this is a cool student bar and there were just groups of girls like nursing glasses of water <laughs> for four hours, <laughs> showing each other uh, their Tinder profiles. Nice. Oh. So and they I, weren't reading the local bar? news. You know, we stumbled into it. I think <laughs> maybe I read about it on. I found this website called Offbeat Budapest. Oh, nice. Okay. This guy's actually pretty cool, but. All right. Shout out to in, Offbeat Budapest. He was actually in New York sponsor when of I was, the pod when I was there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he interviews like Hungarian writers and cool shit like that. But he also talks about like the offbeat bars. I like Budapest way more than Vienna. You know, Budapest felt more real, but I kind of like ran out of shit to do. But we baths, did, bathhouses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did hang out in this cafe called Bambi Espresso, which is virtually unchanged since like 1950. Mm. Nice. And they have a great drink there called Unicum, which is like kind of a variant on Fernet, sort of. Mm. And just we knocked back the Unicum. And, but the only thing they seem to eat there is toast with cheese and ketchup. <laughs> in Budapest? I mean, that's all. Well, I mean, they have amazing food. In this specific cafe. Okay, okay. It was the one fair <laughs> that they had. So they just like read the newspaper and eat this toast. So they read a little bit less than the uh, Viennese. <laughs> they drank more to their credit in Hungary. Yeah. And I ate like a more sausage than I ever could face. The again. like old style Jewish um, deli, they're not delis, but like right. Jewish yeah. restaurants, Jewish yeah, cuisine restaurants are really good in Budapest. It's Ooh, they, what kind of stuff do they have in those? Um, I can't remember exactly. It's like all very. Those guys didn't get I mean, a, a lot of, in the. Well, it's weird. It's, you know what? Yeah, kind of. They have these like restaurants. It's like voguish to be into Jewish food. Really? Yeah, yeah. 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 They, they still but, exist. They're the same buildings. Okay. Right. The synagogues are still there from before the war too. I'm not right. sure exactly. They're, but in, everything I read about them said they're empty. They're just like. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way those guys. But didn't it's weird that they now a, kind of seemingly kind of fetishize. It's like voguish yeah. to be into Jewish shit. Well, well it's like how we're into like Native yeah, American stuff. Yeah, it's exactly stuff. the same. Yeah. yeah. I wonder what it's like with um, the current situation there politically, though. Yeah, aren't they not? Isn't Orban not crazy about... Orban's a Nazi, pretty About much. the Jews, yeah. I didn't feel... I felt safe. You felt when safe. When were you there, though? Like a few... Last week. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm basically Hungarian now. You know, yeah. that's a weird fucking language. Yeah, it's really. I was actually tempted to learn it, but it's got like eight cases to Russian six, no. and I was like, nope. The re- the six cases in Russian were quite enough for me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> quite enough. That's another really cool book. Is Parallel Stories by Peter Nadash, this Hungarian book, where it just like pretty much like fifteen hundred pages of dicks and like sex, and but it's it, it seems no. to be your personal canon. Like, yeah, yeah. I like I I like yeah I like <laughs> transgressive literature with a certain. I don't like um. You know this sort of the weird genre of transgressive sure. literature where it's like, yeah. oh, those guys are kind of, yeah. But I like, I like um, something that's a bit spicy, but also uh, aesthetically shapely. Right. Mm. So that's, the, that's my combination. That's a, that's a good combo. Yeah, I think that's yeah. it's much better than being the guy who's like talking about Peter Soto's on a YouTube channel. <laughs> Sorry to all the guys who follow me who talk about Peter <laughs> Soto's on YouTube channels. <laughs> Whose uh, YouTube channel? Peter Soto's is like... Um, Who's that? Oh, we shouldn't talk. <laughs> Ooh, spill the tea. No, no, he's like a fa- very famous guy who's like got arrested for child pornography and like writes these little books. Oh, oh. Are, he's like a famous writer who like is like oh. the extreme transgressive literature, sort of like oh. Dennis Cooper adjacent. Right. He's like Dennis Cooper's homie. He's friends with Steve Albini, but it's really not like literature at all. It's like mm, yeah, it sounds gross. Yeah, just like description of child abuse, basically. It's bad, but yeah. like it's like a genre of transgressive literature that's stuff like that and people Ugh. just talking about stuff like that that's like it's not like formally interesting you mean it's no like, i mean yeah. they, i'm sure they could find and like sorokin's on the beginning of that spectrum so sometimes like mm. especially like therefore hearts people find it and be like oh you must be into that like i gave a talk in university where someone's like trying to talk to me about peter sotos and i was like <laughs> uh. well, yeah draw the line there yeah but um but you know whatever it is uh it's all it's all legal literature i guess it's hard to avoid these things. It's hard to avoid daily fights on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. That's why I don't read anymore. I'm just inundated with a stream of shit. It's ruining my brain. Just don't. Maybe watch I thought I, I thought I was no longer able to read, but maybe it was just because I was trying to read The Gift. That's not that's not a good book. To, you should read The Morning Star all the way through if you haven't. I, I it mean, is quite I would, pleasant. I think I'm gonna go back to it this summer. I think it would yeah. be a good summer read. Your ultimate victory yeah. will convince us to finally read. I know the wrong Canals Guard. Yeah, well, we're, we're gonna stop talking about Canals Guard on this podcast. <laughs> how far are we? Uh, probably like three quarters, three quarters of the way through book two, and we'll never get past <laughs> it. Yeah, we're because we're kind of asymptotically uh, approaching a point at which. It'll just never cross. One, know, two, so. and five are the best. Three and four, are then a dip, because it's like I don't yeah. like books about childhood in general. Yeah, I I've heard that. mixed things about book three. Yeah. Then four is okay. Five is student days. There's a whole part where he like cuts his face up. Where oh, have you guys seen the yeah. worst person in the world? Yeah, I like that movie. I really liked it. I watched it on Saturday night, but it made it um, Oslo look uh, fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I was you, like, Oslo is a paradise. What are you like, complaining about? What are you complaining about? Nordic peoples. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, it's filmed on like the three nice days in Oslo per yeah. year. <laughs> it's just like this gorgeous like summer light and like lush city. Just oh my god, to die. Um, no, it is. That, I like the movie a lot too. Yeah, I watched was, all of the Jason Bourne films on the plane. Oh yeah, yeah. Mina was I telling me that about shit. that. Yeah, I was in a trance. <laughs> nice. I Did mean, you watch even the like reboot one with? Um, I haven't seen it. You Jeremy, know, I haven't seen that one. So you didn't watch all of them. Okay, I watched. I I think I rewatched. Technically, I rewatched the. The first three or whatever. Those were like a big deal in the Bush era. They really they were. were. Yeah. Actually, the filming style felt felt really fresh at the time too. I remember watching in like high shit. school, and it looks like shit now. Yeah. It's like it feels really gimmicky. 
But it does oddly take place in a netherworld where, like, although like the war and terror and whatever was going on there, like he's just in Europe fighting. <laughs> yeah, he's in Paris. Yeah, it's like this is the site of international intrigue right now. I actually watched. Have you guys seen Body Double? What is that? The Brian De Palma movie? No. I watched it for the first time this weekend, and it's actually amazingly good. Because you know how Tarantino is always obsessed with stuff where it's like, I don't know if this is actually good or if it's just right, a Tarantino exactly. thing. So I'd seen him talk about Brian De Palma enough, and I watched his movie Obsession, which I didn't think was that good. And then I just like was looking for something to watch, ran across Body Double because it was just in my Amazon. And it's actually like one of the more insane, deranged <laughs> movies it's sort of like if you took hitchcock but then made it fully unacceptable but also more technically skilled as a filmmaker it's very cool that was my rediscovery recently that i was like blown away by yeah de palma i don't always love i know like film nerds are really into him but sometimes i'd have that too i mean scarface is not that good yeah it's a blow blow out Oh, that one's pretty good. Yeah, it's a John Travolta. I watched that one as well. A woman screaming. The ending's really good. Yeah, that's a cool one, but it's no, it's no born, it's no born. No, it's aged much better though cinematically. The issue is that like in the '90s and 2000s, they were trying to reinvent the wheel cinematically so much that it was like bad. <laughs> yeah. Don't you have questions from Oded? Oh yeah, we have our questions from Oded. Who's Oded? This is a this is a segment we do every every podcast, starting but, with well, this he's, podcast. He's called Odav. Yeah, also known well, as Odav. He's part of your the trans later. He's community. part of the trans community. The trans community. <laughs> and I said, do you have any questions for this other member of the? Oh wait, my friend Daniel, who's a huge fan of yours and obsessed with you, also wanted to know. His question was, "Are you going to finish your PhD?" <laughs> yes. <laughs> Somehow I see here that I said any advice from a member. You heard it, Daniel. And I tried to say the community, but I wrote C U M M I N T Y. I'm glad you noted that the for, for everyone. Comment-y. I'm glad you noted Comment-y. that. <laughs> Translation coming to We should do it in his voice. We have to do I, it in a, Wait, let me do it. I can do it. Um, this is. Um, Ask him. Ask him if he translates because he can't write. <laughs> <laughs> He's Israeli. Nice. If he translates, so yes. Do you translate because you can't write? No. <laughs> I like writing too, but I actually think translation is a really good way of being like an apprentice writer, mm, because you get to read really deeply. You have to form. You have to make really good sentences. You have to write a book, but the hard thing writing is ontological questions like why the fuck am I writing this? Is this a good idea? Whereas translation, you just have to think about word choice, syntax, whatever. So it's Wow, actually, that's a fascinating point. Yeah, so I think yeah. actually being a translator is a really good way to be a writer. And like it's so I do both at the same time. Not like literally at the same time, but I think my if you can manage to form a wall between your translation work and your own writing, which uh-huh. I do, I think effectively, then it's a really good way to practice and not always have to think about the big questions which really kill writers when they're starting out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, it's devastating. It's, yeah. It's hard. Yeah. Oh, that's such an interesting point. Next wow. question. Ask him if he could go back in time. Would he go back to Tolstoy's era? Oh, my God. My impression is so much better. Or to the first year of college when he could have still majored in computer science instead of Russian <laughs> lit. Oh, Dad, that's a cheeky question. <laughs> well, He's all cheeky. Uh, Tolstoy's era. sorry, <laughs> Tolstoy's era. Uh, the other one is a projection. We won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? What is it? Ask him if he sometimes dreams in Russian. 
And if he does, it is also the dreams in which his legs get so heavy that he can't move, and he's slowly being smothered by an immense formless weight. I do sometimes dream in Russian, but it's not the same as the uh, dreams where you can't move. Different, different dreams, different genre. And then he That's said, cool that you dream in Russian sometimes. I, I think it's just my brain works that way, so I can even speak a language not that well, and I'll dream in it, but just in a bad version of it. That's interesting. So it'll be like when my German wasn't good, it would be like, yeah, ich bin da. Like really basic German and like like German conversation class level German in a real life scenario. So it's um, weird. That's cool. So you're like a baby. I'm a trained monkey basically with yeah. languages. Oh, um, Sapir Whorf, yes or no? Sapir Whorf? Yeah, the Sapir Whorf hypothesis. What is that? Oh, that we're like constrained by our language. Or like what we can think is constrained oh, by the language oh, we know. Oh, oh, um, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. And then he says you could also ask me about obscure Russian novels. But it seems like you've out-obscured us to begin with. So. Yeah. <laughs> Limonov, is, like, well, Limonov is maybe a good one, but you can't actually read it anymore. So let me think. If I'll, Why? Because it doesn't, it's not out. I might, I might be translating that for Edwin, for NYRB mm. down the road, the first two. But we have to think about political ramifications because we um, are good liberal-minded people who don't want to support bad This is shit. the one about the guy becoming not gay, but simply having sex with yeah, other men? Yeah, becoming an MSM. Okay. <laughs> right, okay, I'm at, right, um, MSM, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, we, I mean, it's a really cool book, but so I can't really recommend that. I guess I would recommend, I, the, the wish issue is all the cool Russian books that people don't know are out of print. So there's a really good book called The Petty Demon. You could probably get on A Books, actually, which is like Gogol, but mixed with the Dario Argento movie. So it's mm-hmm. like... Um, and it's actually a funny story about it is, spoiler alert, at the end, the main character kills someone. Mm-hmm. But I find it very funny, the way it happens. It seemed like a black comedy. And the first time I went over to Vladimir's house for dinner in Moscow with a lot of other people, or like 10 other people, whatever, at dinner we were talking about it, and I was like, oh, I thought the ending was so funny. And Max was like, it's very scary. <laughs> Damn. And I was like, I felt like chastened, like... Sorry, Vladimir, I mean, maybe I should reread it. <laughs> it's a family story. It's a cool, yeah, it's a family story. It's a family story. <laughs> inside joke. <laughs> uh, inside um, joke from before we started recording. Yeah, yeah, um, that we won't explain. Yeah, we will <laughs> um, not explain it. But um, no, The Petty Demon's super cool. Uh, actually, Sketches from a Hunter's Elm is relatively obscure. I would recommend going to the Dostoevsky books that people don't read as much. So The Idiot, Demons, Notes from Underground, The Double. Um... A cool book, Before and During, by Sharov, Vladimir Sharov. No, Vladimir Sharov. No, Vladimir Sharov. I forget his first name, which is stupid. It's all Vladimir. Yeah, but um, it's a really cool book where it's sort of written like an alternate history of the Soviet Union. Um, It's got a lot of uh, interesting religious, uh, sort of religious sex scenes in it. And then a lot of um, sort of interesting the- theology. It's sort of like the sections of Welbeck that descend into theory, mm. if you know what I mean. So I like Before and During a lot. I don't know. A lot of the other books are just not out there. If you can have a good library, you can probably find the out-of-print Limonov book that was translated, The Petty Demon, Petersburg, I guess not a lot of people read, which is kind of, again, like the an extreme. Yeah. Petersburg is really good. Petersburg is easy to get, um, but just not that well translated. I'm thinking of doing my own my own version down the road mm-hmm. but maybe um yeah and of course sorokin everyone should be reading <laughs> sorokin that's a that's a good one yeah you can probably get it from the library because i gave it 
I gave it back to the library nice. two weeks ago. So if you're a part of the Brooklyn Public Library system, you can snap that up. Nice. If or I'll check it out again, and then you won't be able to get it. Well, yeah. It, um, if you like more extreme stuff, uh, there are four hearts. If you are not crazy, probably Teluria. And um, next year, of course, Blue Lard is the best. That's the one everyone should start with. That's my favorite. That's oh, like nice. one of my ten favorite I'm books. Hyped. Yeah, it's I'm really, hyped. it's really good. Blue Lard. Yeah. It, it's actually funny in Russian. It kind of is a weird pun, but you can't translate puns very easily. So mm. because it's also an object that is blue lard. First of all, lard in Russian is sala, which is it's like a cured lard that people eat. Mm-hmm. Mm. So it's a little bit like cracklin or something, or like um, what's it drippings? <laughs> right. You know, like with the British yeah. thing. <laughs> I can't call nice. it blue, blue crackling. <laughs> no, but, that wouldn't. Yeah. It also is a little bit of a Pasolini reference. And blue goluboy also means gay. Sort of like a slightly derogatory oh, okay, word for nice, gay. Yeah. So it could be called gay solo as well. Yeah. So, but like Gay cracklings? Gay cracklings. <laughs> gay that, that gay drippings. Be, yeah. Do you get to decide the title and translation? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's yeah. so sick. I decide. That's so I much decide power. everything. Yeah, that's so fire. Yeah. Do you, do you and Vladimir and, like, the guys you translate, do you have, like, a really special type of, like, intimate relationship? Vladimir and I definitely do. Um, yeah. We like, could, how does that start? Uh, we just emailed a lot, and then we yeah. met, and I, like, I visited But, him. like, he has to choose you, right, to be your... No. no he so doesn't. basically, I got his email. Okay. And I translated 100 pages of Blue Lord eight years ago and sent them to him, or seven years Ooh. ago. And he was, like oh these are good i want you to work for me and so then we just started working together and i was like 22 yeah so i was like what the fuck i don't my russian's not even that good yeah so i had i went to oxford then went to middlebury in the summers and um stayed at that shitty apartment i talked about and then i got better at it and vladimir and i spent a lot of time together and now we're like buddies and um we have a lot of funny we have so many funny stories actually we just like he's comes off seriously in interviews but when we're together we just start goofing around oh that's yeah. so sweet like uh <laughs> i'll tell a funny Sorokin story this is not no one knows this one yet that um uh so our struggle exclusive yeah this is this is this is actually a really good one too <laughs> and um so basically when i was in berlin last summer one of my last days there i was like oh let's have a, uh, let's hang out all day like what are you up to on yeah. thursday and he was like oh let me look like yeah let's hang out what do you want to do and i was thinking like okay well let's maybe go to a place that has saunas yeah nice <laughs> So there's a place called Vibali or something, and it turned out to be Textilfrei, which um, I guess I sort of saw on the website, but I thought it meant we couldn't wear like synthetic bathing suits. Right. But it meant we had to be fully naked. Why which, wouldn't you be fully naked in a sauna? Well, people wear swim trunks a lot. Oh, okay. It's like it, it wasn't just a sauna; it was like a giant complex where you couldn't okay. wear clothes at any time. Yeah. And it was a, um, so no one is allowed to wear. No clothes. one's allowed to wear it's, clothes. You can't wear clothes if yeah, you want to. Yeah, so it's to. pretty much a nudist That's actually colony. quite. That's like that's colony. quite something actually. Yeah, yeah. and they're like <laughs> swimming pools. People are eating. It's like there are probably four, three or four hundred people there. Wow. So we spent the day there. Well, it was fine. Vladimir just kept saying. Like, it's all dudes, I would imagine. No, no. No. More oh, than okay. half women, I think. Oh, okay. But every, it was like everyone was space aliens. There was nothing sexual about it. Everyone yeah, was yeah, just yeah like, totally. Vladimir kept saying to me, like, in Russian, like, these are people who are like space aliens. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's no, there's no hint of sexuality here. <laughs> They're like space aliens. <laughs> yeah. And then so, but that was all fine, normal. But it's just a funny context to the additional story. Um, We got a nice dinner and then. 
I was just gonna wait up. at the sauna. You had a no, nice no, dinner no, no. there. We went to another. Okay. We went to like an old schnapps factory. Oh, nice. Yeah. What kind of what kind of grub did you get? Do you remember? Oh, uh, it's like New German. So okay. it's like you know pigeon feet, but it's elevated. I'm I'm going to Berlin in May, so I would actually like some recommendations. Yeah, yeah sure. I'm, I'm I'll be there too, actually. Wait, really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah let's yeah. hang out then, dude. Sure. Everyone's gonna be in Berlin in May. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think Vladimir will hang out with him? Just like if I text him, Maybe. just be like. You know, it's just like I want to hang like I'm here I just want to hang out with people shoot your shot haven't haven't read your book yet because <laughs> I returned it to the library <laughs> so what happened then after your nice dinner so yeah no what happened yeah, after your nice dinner, dinner and um, pigeon nude elevated pigeon feet yeah yeah elevated pigeon feet schnapps yeah, schnapps and then, um, I'm like oh let me, let me just call you an Uber home because there weren't any taxis around and yeah I, and I was pretty close to my hotel so I was just gonna bird because I like birding in Berlin it costs like two euros this if you're on it for like 30 or 40 minutes it's amazing Wait, you like what? Birding, birding, like the scooters. I saw those everywhere. Birding. I wanted to do yeah. it. It's called birding. It's a. They're called birds. So you just bird. Like That's in, so fire. They have them in LA a lot, but you can't yeah. do it because the potholes are so fucking awful and all the yeah. drivers are so crazy. But um, in LA, you in Berlin, you do it for like forty-five minutes, two bucks. It's amazing. That's so awesome. I was like, I'm gonna bird. I'll call Vladimir Uber. He kind of cursorily typed in the address mm-hmm. and didn't and like, I'm like, okay, cool. That looks like his address. Enter. It turned so then we like say a goodbye, like see you soon, whatever. We knew going on tour in a month, so it wasn't like it was no grand goodbye. Um, but anyways, um, so 30 minutes later, I'm on my bird and I looked down my phone, and Vladimir's calling, and I was like, oh, that's odd. And I almost crashed my bird into a cart on the side of the road because I was looking at my phone, but then I pull over, I'm like, Vladimir, what's up? And he's like, Max, what is going on? I'm in the asshole of Berlin, I'm out past the airports. And I was like, what is happening it turned out that he had written one letter wrong no in the address which had sent him out way into like the sticks into like the industrial district of berlin i was like but how did you not notice and he was like well to be honest max the whole time i was asking myself what a strange route this is what route could we be taking oh no but then we i called the same uber to his house and it was all solved does he not speak german no he does but it was just i mean like you have to type it in yeah and there were no there's just no cabs where we were in koitzberg yeah so i called him an uber damn and that is how poor guy i was i was briefly worried he'd been kidnapped like a kremlin a kremlin plot or something Ooh, yeah but no actually if i were him i would worry about that does he worry about that no okay i mean no, and does I, the Kremlin get people outside of Russia, or I mean, they no, obviously they do. Sometimes. They do. Yeah. It's pretty rare. I don't think he's high enough on the list, even close to yeah. for that to happen. He's but no, Alexei Navalny. No, my parents were saying that when we were like living together for two weeks on tour, they're like, "You're sharing food and stuff." I'm like, <laughs> "Yep." <laughs> I would wake up at eight in the morning at a San Francisco place, and we he got a cold on the tour, so we skipped one day in San Francisco. So we literally had four days in this weird paraffin smelling airbnb in san francisco it was actually a nice airbnb minus the paraffin but i would just wake up at eight and he'd be like max omelet omelet that's so sweet yeah yeah yeah. so we had a no we had a lot of fun just hanging what type of stuff does he put in omelets he makes very very good plain omelets just a plain omelet olive oil there's an art to that it's like yeah that is an art yeah yeah it's really good maybe a little bit of salt and pepper and then there's this funny thing where like in the airbnb there was this bizarre pot in one of the cabinets that was filled with old oil that just stank so we found it and i kept i like made two jokes about it like i was 
oh, Vladimir, this is like an object from one of your binary bombs. And he was like, Max, you're just imagining things. You're a young romantic. It's old oil, and that's all there is to it. Just pours it down the sink. Sounds like the pheasant rotting yeah, under the house. Yeah, the cabin. The old, it really smelled awful. It smelled like some potion, kind of. Like, it was mm. old oil. Maybe that was some Kremlin. Bad. Yeah, I don't know. It sounds like the Kremlin <laughs> yeah. to me. That was, that was actually it. Yeah. But, um, well, no. I'm glad he survived that. Yes. The yeah. Surviving the Kremlin binary bomb. Yeah. <laughs> There's actually another... Well, I can't tell the one, actually. I'll save it for after the podcast. Yeah, save Sorry, after listeners. The pod. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. <laughs> um, we're, the real talk is going to start after we turn it <laughs> How long have we been talking? We can probably free you. Oh, my God. It's been two hours. Okay. We can definitely free you. Um, <laughs> well, thanks so much for having me. Oh, of thanks course. No, this on. is fascinating. Um, this is surprisingly yeah. dense and informative i know i'm also just like fascinated by how you translate all this transgressive stuff but you have such a wholesome yeah, really like farm boy demeanor <laughs> how how tall are you six five and a half we're really continuing with this thing it's of totally tall men sam chris is six four so you're you may be our tallest guy yet mm. Yeah, I think so. Ben Moser six five. I think Will Will and I are the same height. Will oh, okay, so you and Will are tied for. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's the thing. Like yeah. underneath your earnest facade, are you really just like a sick? Fuck? Yeah, are you really are you sick on the inside? No, no, no. Yeah. I just like th- that's why I said shapely in like aesthetic mm. sense. I don't. Right, I, yeah. I, I really don't like stuff that's just like. I know. Yeah, Peter you do Soto's. seem genuinely offended by it. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah it, strong it should, moral compass. It should be allowed, but um, yeah. As a ma- that's 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 all one can say. I know. I don't know. I know. I'm not. I'm not a monster. I just like. Um, I think my dad. <laughs> my dad gets um, offended by his art. So my rebellion mm. against him and my parents is like transgressive art, and then it just becomes such a big part of my personality that it just gives me genuine pleasure now. That's so great. Yeah. So. Well. <laughs> yeah, I'm very. Uh, you know, maybe you'll become fucked up and uh, deranged and perverse One can in another hope. 10 years. One can yeah. Maybe once you read uh, Sorokin. Yeah. John, I mean, once I translate Jonathan's new book, which is like a lot of bathhouse orgies. Nice. <laughs> is he to, is he an M- MSM? I don't think so. I don't, mm. not that I know of. He's, I think he's a, <laughs> he, he's, he has children. He has a female uh, girlfriend, so. As far as I know, yeah, no, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. Yeah. We've, we've not spoken about that. Yeah, um, nice. We're not, we're That's not cool. Close, uh, close. I haven't actually met him in person. Maybe you have to take him to the nude, the compulsory yeah, nude yeah. bathhouse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. that is funny that they're like you cannot wear. <laughs> you can have the towel around your waist, but right. no one does. And like, <laughs> they start getting suspicious if you wear a towel around your waist. <laughs> the funniest part is I was away for a second and they were saying something about <laughs> cameras in in German to Vladimir. And he was like, I think they're saying they're going to film us. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, no. And I was like, just switch to English. Because I was like, and they're like, no, there are no cameras in the locker room. We're saying, I was like, okay, hey, and he, he wasn't really listening and he was like just didn't give a shit and they were like blah, 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 blah. and he's like are they saying we're gonna film this <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no it's compulsory nudity compulsory camera <laughs> yeah. it's like pretty much an mtv like uh, one of the weird summer party <laughs> right, things yeah 300, 300 naked germans in a cool cold tub <laughs> that, was, that was it i think there's gonna be a market for that for sure yeah all right all right thank you so much max um i will turn this off now bye Bye.
I'm feeling 